0: There was a real mean killing, and the wrong guy died. They buried his body, but his soul survived for J.D.'s revenge. Maybe something's happening to me. I blacked out. The reincarnation of a killer who came back from the dead. J.D. Walker's been dead for over 30 years. To possess a man's soul.
1: He turned into this monster. Make love to his woman. You scared of your death? And get the vengeance he
0: craved. They are my enemies! Lynn Terman, the star of Cooley High. Lou Gossett, Joan Pringle. Forty years later, on someone else's face, you can see J.D. Walker's hatred. Time just won't erase. J.D.'s Revenge. Uh-huh. J.D.'s Revenge. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent.
1: The shadow of your (laughs) smile when you... uh... Uh not near. I don't know the line. Gone some way. I wonder. Hey, we're back. We're always back. We're bon- We're always back. So this is a little funny. Never front. Whenever in the front, we're always coming from the back. Oh, a little inside baseball. So we got all ready to record in my in my basement. Then my dad came down, and my dad's like, "I'm I'm watching some movie down here. What are you doing? What are you talking about?" I was like, "Oh, come on." So we had to pack everything up. And we had to try to find a place to be quiet, but, like, my sister's home, my mom's home, there's stuff going on, so it's really late, they're doing stuff. So, Blake, Aaron, and I are now in the bathroom, <laughs> and we're, Blake's sitting on the toilet bowl. I'm sitting on the tub, and we've got the we've got the uh, the yeah, w-
0: sitting in the tub. In, I'm in the tub.
1: In the, the- so if you hear a little echo, and, and we got the waste paper basket, or no, I'm sorry, the hamper where we put the dirty laundry in. We have all recording equipment all over that, so it almost looks like we're recording an album, like in the old days. You'd have the vocals in the bathroom, you know. <laughs> it's a little makeshift. You know, when they did L.A. Woman, Jim Morrison, they're like, put him in the bathroom. So he's in the bathroom singing. We also
0: need to keep this one a little tight
1: yeah you know we're under a time constriction because since we said all of my family's up and doing things so we tried to put a do not enter sign so hopefully during the cast one will have to come in to use the bathroom because that'll be awkward you know because blake's on the bowl so i told blake just to keep the pants <laughs> down and then so if anybody comes in it looks like you're using the toilet which yeah. doesn't really make any sense because it just looks like why am i in here too and there's wires everywhere and so so, uh,
0: but what's so far? We're, we're what are we? Th- week three, week three of our October horror Halloween monthly annual extravaganza.
1: And um, let's see, we started out with uh, we had Mighty Mighty Mike Vanderbilt come on and do Halloween from the nineteen
0: seventy eight John Carpenter classic.
1: Yeah, which was turned forty this year, and the new movie's coming out, and then <laughs> probably out already. All anniversaries, evidently, because then last week. We did the 200th anniversary of uh, of two th- uh, 1818 of Mary Shelley's <laughs> Great Frankenstein. Film of
0: 1818,
1: the old 1818, the wreck of the old 1818. So we had uh, we did Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the Kenneth Branagh film from 1994 last week. where We went to Frankenstein the book. We went into the film, uh, a little hodgepodge, a mix of everything. And this week we're traveling
0: back once again <laughs> to <laughs> 1978 for uh-huh. a
1: horror class. Another 40, so another one's turning 40. Uh, we're doing George Romero's uh George A. Romero. George A.
0: Romero's Dawn of the Dead. <coughs> dun dun dun. Now, unfortunately, we lost Romero a couple of years ago. Yeah, we did. And we did do kind of a makeshift impromptu Romero tribute. Yes. Which was very uh was fun. Oh, now, I mean, fun recording, not that he passed. Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons why we did that is because Romero is uh, a very important filmmaker to uh, the upbringing of Dion Baya. Uh,
1: yeah, I guess I would say that. Uh, I was growing up. I was big into um, into horror movies, and particularly, I liked growing up. Uh, I think out of we talked about. Let's see, what did we do on the cast? We did Folchi's zombie. Uh, Jesus! Years ago, now we did that, and we're
0: in that one, we do talk a little bit about the history of the zombie film, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it's been years—like so four or
1: five years ago. Because right?
0: we're uh, under a little bit of time constraint, we might not get too far into that today. Yeah, but assuming that we did that, then if yeah. you want to hear a little bit of that,
1: check out the Fulci zombie. Check out the Fulci, uh, and then we. So we then we did earlier this year. We did um, Vincent Price's Last Man on Earth. Mm-hmm. So in that, I talked about my kind of forte into Vincent Price and the horror movie zombie subgenre, Living Dead. So growing up, I remember like one of the first things I watched, you know, that had an impact on me was Michael Jackson's Thriller uh, video. Mm-hmm. Scared the poops out of me, probably because my dad's like, "We don't, I don't want you to watch this." So of course, I watched it. And uh, I always growing up for some reason, for my parents to scare the crap out of me. I always lived like a block away from a cemetery <laughs> that I my, my window always had like eyes I like on the house. But where's the cemetery? <laughs> yeah, no, we, (laughs) we need to scare the shit out of the kid (laughs) Uh, we need a window preferably that overlooks the cemetery so um, what happened with me is then uh, when I moved uh, into the suburbia house in suburbia there was another cemetery that it looked upon and then growing up I at some point really late one night in like 6th grade Night of Living Dead was on and uh that's a movie that scares the pants out of me, the original. And then it was right around the time that the, the remake was uh, Tom Savini's 1990 Night of the Living Dead movie was being done. I saw that. That scared the poops right out of me. I mean the poops just dripped right out of me. I was so scared. <laughs> it's all over yeah. your legs. Yeah, it was just I was it was really scary. And so I've always like been into the zombie you know, the, the living dead horror uh, genre. And then so getting back to our George Romero cast, at the beginning of that we I had we played a phone call from a friend of mine, Marvin Jones, who I bring up once in a while on here and he I hadn't talked to him in like in ten years and he called me uh, out of the blue when Romero died saying hey you know we lost the master he's gone you know and Marvin was a kid when I met in fifth grade we like bonded over Ninja Turtles and like did tracing we did comic books together uh, we draw I would go over his house on the afternoon we draw comic books and we'd eat like you know uh, freaking uh, what do you call that uh junk food and we'd watch all these movies he had taped and he's the one where i first saw tales from the crypt over there i saw uh the show i saw creep show i saw tales from the crypt the 70s movie and he was the guy who introduced me to, i think probably to dawn of the dead i was trying to figure this out the timeline of i think i saw dawn first before day and then i and then when i got into high school i saw day for the first time but i remember like You know, being scared, knowing the Living Dead, both being uh, very much into both of those movies—the original and the remake. So then, when I saw Dawn, I had known a much, a lot about the, you know, the story, so that when Dawn starts, Dawn starts like right amidst the chaos of what's going on. So I really dug Dawn at the time, and and for years, uh, you know, I, I knew that I knew Dawn front and back. I got into Day. I knew Day front and back. So I guess. And then I did. I see. I saw Martin with you, right in college, yeah. Ramiro. So aside from like Creepshow, those were the only Ramiro movies I
0: really dug yeah, on. Yeah, but that's like four
1: out of yeah about his whole. Key. Yeah. 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 although he didn't direct. That was Savini directed. the no, but he but he did the
0: Night, screenplay. Dawn, Day, and Creepshow. And Creepshow, yeah, which were all movies you've yeah. seen. So that's four.
1: So uh, that was probably some of my apex of my horror upbringing with that with, this, with that kind of genre. Well, I mean, dead. I just
0: said that it was uh, important to you because. You know, I was into horror movies a little bit. I mean, I, I got more seriously into horror movies after we met when we were in film school together. But, you know, I was into John Carpenter, and uh, there's a lot of the horror television. I mean, I was into them, but I, like I said, I didn't go full out. steam ahead, balls out, into like being a horror junkie until uh, freshman year yeah. of film school. But I had never... I don't, because I was trying to think of this. I don't think I had ever seen a, G- a George Romero movie before I met you. Yeah. I, you know, I knew the cover of The Creep Show. Yeah. And I knew, uh, you know, I've heard of, I had heard of Night of the Living Dead. I knew the cover of Monkey Shines, you know, from the box, you know, being the box of the, at the movie store. And I know you're like, you
1: like, you, and you, you have an affinity for right, for Monkey Shines. And I maybe the dark up. dark half as well?
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny because in recent years- Both H- R- romero Helm movies? Yeah. But I think I saw his original Dead trilogy with you. I think you showed them to me. Yeah. I, I remember, I think you had that monster two-tape extended edition of Dawn. Yeah. That w- what came out in the 90s, maybe? Yeah, mid-90s. But you had the two-taper. Yeah. Uh, w-
1: we watched day together. Yeah, we ha- we watched tonight. We watched the old '80s clamshell VHS <laughs> of the theatrical cut of Dawn,
0: and I think you showed me the night uh, too, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Both versions, because I remember we got remember we got like ourselves a bootleg from a convention of the d- of, of the, the widescreen of, of, of the, the remake, 1990, yeah, 1990. Then you and I to make a cover, which goes back to last week us talking about drawing covers. We we drove out when you were staying a weekend at my parents' house. Uh, There was like a twenty four hour Kinko's in Milford, which is twenty minutes away from my hometown of Hamden. So we got in the car, got on the highway, went to the twenty four hour McDonald's, got something to eat, came back. You remember we went to that Kinko's and we photocopied a color copy to have of the Night of Living Dead, and so I put it like in the you know the big white clamshell box, so I'd have like an official bootleg of that. Yeah, no, it's Uh, funny
0: because like I didn't really come around on them. I don't remember not liking the original night, but like I wasn't crazy about day but, when we watched them. It's funny because I also
1: growing up was a Carpenter fan. I particularly Assault on Precinct Thirteen, and the original thing. Yeah. Oh, or John Carpenter's The Thing scared the shit out of me, and then his movies into the '90s, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, and uh, there was another one there I liked, uh, oh, In the Mouth of Madness. You know, of course I'd seen Big Trouble. So I remember coming there to the table, and you were into Carpenter, I'm like, oh, I like Carpenter too. I Remember. I saw the thing over a weekend came back hey do you remember that movie the thing and you know so I felt like at that same time we were kind of like feeding each other's yeah you know, well that, uh, I
0: always say that's the that was the best thing about going to film school to me it was like the most useful thing you know I learned how to use a camera which nobody uses those cameras anymore and i used <laughs> i learned how to use avid which I do use yeah you know in my for my day job now but the probably the best most educational thing about going to film school for me even uh even a little bit more so than the film theory classes was meeting people like i got i got even more than the film history and the film theory classes the films that i got introduced to that are still films that i love today that i get interested i got introduced to in those days was the films that my fellow students introduced me to yeah you know, it was, you know, Dave Hastings and you and even guys like John Cribbs and Chris Funderburg, you know, just like we're all into films. Aaron, a friend of ours, Aaron, you know, you know, like, oh, like I heard of that. I never saw it. Oh, I have a copy of it or I love this movie. Have you ever seen? it? I never heard of it. Oh, you should check it out. It was like this meeting of all these minds and our, the sharing of, yeah. of nostalgia and the things we loved and all that stuff. Now funny enough, I didn't really get into the night the the dead films right away. I did instantly fall in love with Martin. Yeah. Uh when I saw it freshman year. So this was like 97 or 98. Uh, Anchor Bay had put out like a cleaned up version of it on
1: VHS. Which I think was the first time I watched it with you, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I I, I instantly for that movie just like connected with me instantly. And to this day I still love that movie. And it was later watching movies with a former roommate of mine, Phil Nuvion, who was also very into the Romero Dead films. It was re watching them with him that I gained an appreciation for them. I just I don't know, maybe I just wasn't ready for them Yeah,
1: and I did there to a weird uh Trilogy, I've always loved the trilogy, and I remember seeing Night of the Living Dead, and then, like I said, it was right around Halloween, watching it really late one night, and then me being a little kid, I was so scared. For, like, a month, I thought every night, like, the zombies were going to come out of the graveyard and come kill me. So, like, I was so scared every night to go to sleep until one night. I was like, you know what? If they're going to come, they're going to come tonight. (laughs) And they didn't come. So then I was able to overcome my fear. a Little did I know. I think it was a
0: little bit, you know, I think there's a certain... Quality to Romero's work, especially yeah. those early films. Uh, that I, mean, I, th- I think Night is completely different, almost from
1: his seventies. Yeah, work, but there's you know? like
0: a there's a low budgetness. Yeah, yeah. There's a dated quality yeah. to them. Especially you get into you know there's a there's a quality to the acting. Yeah,
1: Or well, like the Crazies or like you know yeah movies. Those like you know, movies, you you know, like, you know in that 70s. I
0: didn't see right away, but there's a there's a certain quality to his films that I feel like maybe I needed a bigger vocabulary of those kinds of films yeah, to have it in context for me personally. Yeah. And I just, maybe it's that maybe it's like, to me, it's just like, I couldn't connect with them because of a certain element to them that later, once I had seen a bunch of movies that were made at those times with similar budgets, similar production values that like, okay, like now it was just old hat. Now it's funny because, uh, In recent years, I feel like because I ended up doing like a a pretty massive George Romero episode on as a guest for the Wrong Wheel podcast, I've now become like some kind of a, you know, in in a way like... I, I've I've one developed a whole new appreciation for him. Like he's literally become one of my favorite filmmakers now. Whereas, like I always respected him a lot and I always loved Martin a lot, but now that like I've really you had like, to go back and revisit in like, like a his week's films. time, I watched every single film you made. Yeah, for <laughs> he, prep in, in in chronological order. Uh, I, and I've now gone on and become like a little bit of like the Romero like a Romero guy on yeah. other shows to talk about. I've talked about Martin on several shows. Uh, right around this time, uh, I, I, I've been asked to talk about *Night of Living Dead* on a show, and I might be doing that right—you know—soon. Uh, um, so now it's like Romero's become one of my guys, but it took me a long time to get to that point.
1: It's—it's—it's it's, it's aqu- it's, I feel like it is an acquired kind of a taste. I remember then getting ready to see Dawn, and at the time I was taking a keto, and my dad's best friend was teaching me this guy named John Hirabushi, who you know, mm-hmm. and I remember talking to him about it, and he was like, oh, you're gonna watch Dawn, and he was explaining, because he was a big movie guy, and I get a lot of my horror films from him, like, he'd give me recommendations. I remember him telling me, like, the idea of, like, what's happening in the inner cities, and in the mall, and then them, the ideas of, uh, you know, them starting to have trace memories of stuff, and that being very iconic for me. So I think I, f- I feel like I saw him in order, because when I saw Dawn, Dawn was, to me, was like, like so massive, like this huge, you know. It's like almost like you you, know, you don't know how to walk away from it after you're done watching it. And then by the time day hit, you know, I like the continuation of that story of where the the world of that context is by the time you hit day. And then by the time you and I were in film school, that's when I guess it, no, it was after, wasn't it? It was like when did they 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 suddenly revisited with he did a fourth land of the day.
0: Oh, that was yeah, that was soon after we graduated because yeah. with Resident Evil. Yeah, there the, was a the, bit of a revival, and then the, the Walking Dead comic books were big at the yeah. time.
1: So you had a revival, into, and then 28 Days Later kind of came out, and that was mm-hmm. kind of categorized as a zombie or dead film. So you had Land of the Dead come out, and then he did Diary of the Dead. Yeah, And then there was another one.
0: Um, Survivor? Sur- survival? survival
1: of the Dead, the last one. But for me, I'm kind of a purist in a sense where I like the first three. I like Night, Dawn, and Day. Yeah, yeah You know, the other cool. ones are good, but I like the you know. Uh, three I, there.
0: I think in in some ways, I think it was a mistake in hindsight of like watching Dawn the first time being the extended cut.
1: Is that the first time you viewed it? Yeah. Well probably my cut. I yeah, had the extended cut. Yeah, you cut. had that
0: two yeah. tape. Because I was just in like this is, Maybe in the mid-90s? Yeah, because I just remember thinking like, this is so long. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, because it, 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 I've always it's felt. Like when, it's like when I tried to sit and watch the two tape miniseries of of Salem's Lot and one oh, sitting.
1: yeah, we did that. You, mean Dave Hastings. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is long. Yeah, it was a long movie. <laughs> See, and that's another thing that always, always for me, uh, from the initial view of this, and I initially saw the theatrical cut, and now they all blend it's together for me. It's recollection that it was two tapes. I think, no, it is two tapes. It's that yeah. red one I had. So I think it yeah. was the extended edition at the time. They must have come out in the mid-90s when they were, like, putting out extended editions to, like, Blade Runner and stuff. Yeah. You know, um, that, like... It does take a right hand turn, and to, uh, watching it tonight with uh, us together, it seemed to flow a lot better for me because I know what the end game is. Like I know where they're going, but yeah. like watching it for the first time while like drawing or hanging out with your friend, like in the middle when they get to the mall and then you're kind of seeing like the day to day of them like trying to have fun and forget away the outside world. It kind of like seems like they put the car into neutral and they're like, you know, especially with the th- with the with the unrated cut. But I feel like now. I was saying to this you prior to this record that I feel like this is, personally for me, this movie gets dated as the years go on. Even for me seeing it 20 years ago, I feel like it's dated where I think it'll be hard for a a young person, maybe not someone who's interested in horror or zombies or living dead films that likes The Walking Dead, but just the novice horror or cinema, you know, just a casual movie, popcorn eating movie fan, to go watch this and not like make fun of it. Because there's has a lot, like you and I, when we we both really liked Martin. Mm-hmm. And then when you and I, for film school, we had a class. And in class, we watched, they, they screened Martin. Uh, and then yeah. half the class was kind of slagging it off as the movie was going on. And you yeah, and I got laughing. Really yeah, we and, got really pissed at it. Yeah, what the fuck are you laughing at? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> and then, well, because it's like, these it's, are the people that you don't feel like should be laughing. These yeah. are film school. It's
0: a film class. Yeah, at you a film should, school. Yeah, and
1: that's how pompous some of the asses were that we went with to school, which I've, I've lamented a lot of times about the people there. But, so. And then you have that. Pacing is an issue, I think. Then also the other elephant in the room at the time, I think, was... I probably noticed immediately when the movie came out was the... The look of the effects, the yeah. 3M blood, and then the how the the, the makeup of the, the zombies. The
0: majority of the zombies, because there are some. You know, I've always thought like the zombies look really bad in this week, but it's the majority of the zombies because yeah. like the Roger zombie when he wakes oh, he, up in the amazing vet, yeah. looks great. Yeah. and the Flyboy zombie at the end. Yeah. coming out of the uh, coming out of the elevator is like in my top favorite zombies of all time. Yeah, you know, it would maybe be. Uh, the shark fighting zombie and zombie, and ro- and Roger, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> like like I think he looks. I mean, as a performance, he pulls it off so amazing. It's supposedly Romero's favorite,
1: you know, he, uh, out of all the zombie films, he thought that portrayal. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Who who's look,
0: look has an uncanny resemblance to Hugh Laurie, uh, Stephen Emge, E M G E. Yeah, da- I'm sorry, David. Uh, but I think he just looks so great. Yeah. Like his performance of it, the look, Savini's look that he gives them is great. So I mean, it's like there's so many. It's hard because when that you, they were just yeah taking off, taking off
1: makeup. It's a express. Or what do you call it? They're just cranking them out. Because when I remember seeing Dawn and thinking like, oh, it looks like a 70s movie because of the blood and because of the effects. But then when you get to Day, I saw Day in eighth or ninth grade. I was like, oh, they got the zombies right. You know, like yeah, by yeah. the time Day comes out, I thought, up until maybe Resident Evil, which is now going on almost 15 years ago or more, it's like, I thought that was the best. If you want to go see, aside from not, the original Night of Living I'm sorry, the remake of Night of the Living Dead, which has a lot of problems, I thought those zombies look great in the remake. Uh, those two movies, Day in re, the remake of Di- Night, I thought really, you know, knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And then it wasn't until you got to The Walking Dead that you start seeing some really good stuff. But at the same time, I can say something very controversial. I think some of the stuff on Walking Dead looks kind of bad. You know, yeah. a lot of that CGI blood splatter and all the zombies look like kind of like a page out of um, Louis, Louis Trafalchi's From Beyond or yeah, the zombie. Yeah. Those, there's two different looks of zombies there, you know. There's a departure. So I think for this movie, Dawn of the Dead, some pe- it may be hard on the eyes to some people. You know, which is tough.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't immediately connect to it when we saw it. Yeah. When I watched it with you for the first time. Now I have to say, <coughs> uh this was never a movie that I cared for all that much. Yeah. I always liked It's like the Blake Tell. He's like, uh, I didn't <laughs> it's like you're laying it all on the table. I always liked aspects of it. Yeah. And I always had a lot of respect for it. And it was one of those movies like Last House on the Left is this way for me, too. That, like, when I see scenes from it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that movie's great. But then when I would watch the whole movie, I'd be like, yeah, like, I appreciate it, but I don't love it. You know, like, uh, on, on like, on, like, a movie viewing aspect of it. Now, I think this may be the first time I've ever watched a theatrical cut of this movie. Oh, okay. I had seen the extended cut with you. I had seen the extended cut again at some point because, I don't know. I feel like as film students, film lovers, uh, especially in the '90s, growing up when you're saying you had all these extended cuts coming out, I feel like we were almost conditioned that that was the better, going to be the better cut. Yeah. And then it was when the, hyped that way. too. And then when this big box set came out on DVD a few years, like ten years ago or whatever, I watched the zombie cut the the. Argento edited version. Which I watched with you too. I saw I watched the Argento yeah, cut with you in we the might past. Have, we might have watched it and I was way well, we living together, maybe. You know, and I was way into Goblin. Yeah. And I was way into Argento. And I my complaint was always that the that Dawn was too long yeah. and too slow, which I'm working off of the extended cut in my memory, yeah. you know, at the time. So the and fact there's that no
1: goblin in the extended cut.
0: <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. And so I well, I, I always kind of loved the their cuz it was like fast paced he made it more of like an action film and for people who don't know what Goblin is Goblin is a, band, a a progressive rock band from Italy uh, that there's, there's a there's a weird convoluted history with them but they're best known for doing the score for Dario Argento's Deep Red or Profondo Rosso yeah which we uh, covered on here which we've done on this show their most iconic score and often considered one of the great horror scores of all time is Suspiria. Yeah, I've and, heard of that movie. <laughs> and right after this, right after Suspiria, they did this movie for yeah. Argento. So, uh, you know, there's more I want to say about uh, my feelings about the movie. But since we've gone down this road, in a nutshell, what, happens, what happened is Romero and his then-producing uh, partner, Richard Rubinstein, were— had pl- we're thinking of making a sequel, finally making a sequel to Night of Living
1: Dead. Okay, Daddy. we're going down the history down the alley,
0: and uh, just to just to explain the Argento aspect of yeah. it. Yeah, Argento comes to America to uh, I think for for Suspiria. Well,
1: he had Argento had had some hits, well, some really big hits in Europe and Italy doing, like, what, his Animal Trilogy, and he, he's doing stuff in the 70s. So he's made a name for himself over there. He was he helped write some Once Upon a Time in the West, right? Yeah. So when he gets over here, he's kind of well-known within the horror genre, so to speak. But I don't think he's a big name here.
0: Well, I, not a big name. But in the know, if <laughs> you know. But you know what? Let me backtrack one more time. Because my point with that I was going is very short. Yeah. Which is... I don't think I'd ever seen this cut of the movie, the theatrical cut, which turns out allegedly is Romero's favorite cut of the movie, even though the extended cut uh, exists. Yeah. Uh, But this was my favorite viewing of this movie. Oh, okay. The one that we've just watched. Yeah, like we just watched it. Maybe it's just like with age or just like, maybe it's the theatrical cut helped or whatever it was. Like I thoroughly enjoyed watching this movie tonight, Yeah, which is even when I, I enjoyed the the Argento cut when we watched it, and I've seen the Argento cut a couple times now. Um, I just was, like, way into it this yeah, time. Yeah,
1: see, I uh, I know this cut the best, the theatrical cut. I I really, I'd have to go back and re-watch the unrated one because I know that well because that's the stuff I had for a couple years. Yeah, yeah. The Argento, the, the international cut or the unrated cut doesn't have any Argento music in it. And then you have the last one we're talking about is the Argento cut, a third version. I only watched that once with you, yeah. and I didn't enjoy it as much because there's a lot of scenes taken out. It moves quicker, but then for some reason for me, because I knew the other scenes existed, I felt like... It's funny because on one side of this coin, I say, okay, it, it, it's a little too long. There's stuff too much going on. And then when you give it to me what I want in the tight little Argento cut, <laughs> I'm still like, well,
0: I... you know, Yeah, you missed the things so, right there.
1: So quickly, the reason we have three cuts is because... Um, we have, the, uh, uh, well, I guess we should explain the Argento it story. Yeah, because it kind of, yeah, it kind of yeah. it, it, and then we can get into the movie. It kind of that all relates because we were the whole night tonight up until uh, the viewing. We didn't know which cut we were going to do. Yeah, and we then did. we were then we, we got the Argento cut out of the way, and then it was we were like flipping a coin between the international cut and the theatrical cut. I didn't know prior to this that 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 was your history with the theatrical cut because I was more akin to doing the theatrical cut, but I thought you were more akin to doing the international cut. So that's why I was laughing at it you know which is quite funny
0: uh yeah i but i i you know I, to before watching it i never really felt like i've never seen the theatrical cut just, just, never, never, occurred, just yeah. never occurred to yeah. me. Just never occurred
1: to me. Like, oh you know, and then like I said, the marked differences is that there is some uh, goblin music in the into the theatrical cut, but then when you go for the international cut or the extended cut, the director's cut, there's no goblin. It's all just uh, Yeah, it's, it's weird m- when you say music saying, library, Jerry. It's weird
0: that you say international because I think this the, the, goblin, the 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 goblin cut the Argento cut is the term is, the international. is really the international. Yeah. It's the non English language cut. Yeah. And the
1: reason for that is because, let's get into the history, I guess, of the movie.
0: So, in mid-70s, uh, Night of the Living Dead had become a bit of a phenomenon. Not right away, but over time, the way things happened there with repeat viewings and uh, drive-ins. And, and we're skipping theaters. over. We've we- talked about Night of the Living Dead a bit. And we're going to talk, and we will eventually do a Night of the Living Dead episode. So, yeah. we don't want
1: to get too much into Because then there'll be no point of doing it down the road. But. You know, we're just s- going to s-
0: set up Dawn at the top. Yeah. But so there's. This icon, now iconic film, yeah. Night
1: of Living Dead. Which comes out in 68, and it's very socially relevant. So uh,
0: it's celebrating its 50th anniversary, and that's a whole other thing where Deanna and I were like, well, should we do Night of the Living Dead, or should we do Dawn of the Dead? Yeah, which one?
1: which one should we do? And then I had an idea for the angle around Night of the Living Dead, and then also I have a huge affinity for the 1990 remake, so I'm like, should we do the other one? And you're like, what? Why? <laughs> like, because, <laughs> like throwing all these, you know, I get overzealous sometimes.
0: Which is one of the reasons why we're short on time today is because there was so much decision making. <laughs> I know. And then we got kicked out of the we were. We <laughs> in that smoky boardroom but all those guys just thought what do you want to do I don't know which one so we're here now um, so after Night of the Living Dead comes out yeah, Romero goes early on 70s goes on to make films like uh, The Crazies Well, he makes like There's Always Vanilla which yep. is kind of like a romantic comedy thing and he makes Season of the Witch which mm-hmm. I have a, a certain affinity for not
1: the not Halloween the ha- 3 not
0: Halloween 3 but a movie called Season of the Witch which I always equate to it's so Martin like I feel like Martin and the the wife and Season of the Witch live in neighboring towns at the same That's time. That's funny. <laughs> when you watch them, they just feel kind of similar. Uh, and he makes The Crazies, which I feel is really the first sequel to, in my mind, the first sequel to Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. It really does a great job of being like a follow up to what's going on in Night of the Living Dead and
1: we can we can hit on it later on but um, I thoroughly enjoyed the remake they did at the crazy some I like the remake too
0: and I like the remake of Dawn too I do too um, but there's always this thought of why don't you just do a sequel to Night of the Living Dead and Romero's always been kind of anti-establishment anti-Hollywood and he kind of Never really occurred to him to do that, but he is kind of in a slump, and that the movies he's making—not that they're bad, but they're not getting great distribution.
1: But it's hard too because the, Romero comes from a world where it's—he's very independent, low budget, very like you know, let's get a camera and go do
0: stuff. Let's this, make a movie, yeah. You so it's get like our friends together. It works
1: amazingly for Night of Living Dead. I think it's so well packaged—the black and white, the 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 eagerness, the urgentness, the excitement—to just. shit a film out and they are able to and it's a time capsule of an era and it has so many other social political connotations but then when you get in like the crazies and stuff sometimes I feel like it's personally it suffers from like sometimes he's not using he's using non-actors yeah he's just he bit off a Uh, little
0: he arguably bit off a little more than he could
1: shoot. he's only just setting up like say two lights on either side of the frame and they're just shooting like hot lights into like a room and it's a farmhouse supposed to be doubling for a hospital so it's like his stuff is low budget, but sometimes th- that hampers his storytelling. So, but Martin, that doesn't, I don't feel like that is a problem with Martin, except for well, that cause scene. Because Martin's a much
0: smaller scene. You know how the end of I mean, they, a much smaller movie. The end
1: of that cart, just that whole there's car. There's a little fight. bit of an action scene. Yeah,
0: you know. Scene. But Martin's a much easier story to tell, uh, logistically wise, yeah. than Crazy's, which has like army troopers, yeah, helicopters. And and, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, National Guardsmen. You know, it's. Uh, so, but there's, so he, he starts to think of, uh, now I saw it said in 1974 on, I think on maybe on Wikipedia and I don't know if that's true. That could just be the internet, but eventually the idea of doing of sequel does start to enter his mind. Now, I don't know the timing if he's already with Richard Rubenstein at this point, uh, but uh, so the legend goes that Romero has a, had a friend that I think he met at Carnegie Mellon while he was in college there in Pittsburgh that owned the Monroeville Mall, which was one of the country's first indoor mall shopping centers,
1: Or, or, the, or one of the, it's, I think the largest. I, I've been to Cleveland um, for work a couple years ago and I got to stay in the first indoor mall. And it's this huge. It looks like the spaceship Cygnus from yeah. uh, the black hole because it's it's it's. End of the Victorian era, so it's all that kind of yeah, you know yeah. exterior skeleton, you know, very elegant. Sure. Like I mean, that. I don't think
0: I'm not saying it, it is the first, but I think it's it's er, it's one of the first of and, the and modern that, that trend. Yeah,
1: and I think at the, at one point malls. it was the largest. You yeah. know, it was the largest of that new kind of you know you have strip malls and now we have these shopping because even the movie like it's one of those new shopping. you know <laughs> So I so and so he can, has a friend who owns the company who works for the company that owns the mall, and
0: so he's taking putting giving George and I would imagine his wife. Who I think it's named Christine. Yeah, a tour of the mon. He's the guy. Who says, you know, if anything ever happened, you could survive. Like
1: how here. big this is, and then yeah. he shows them areas that like aren't even open to the public. Yeah, going and, into like the you know. offices and, and stuff. And you think about it at the time, that's massive because in the seventies, we've talked about t- the cows that come home, all the other stuff that's going on in the world. But you know, you you are basically making this. I mean, the thing can probably support itself. It probably has a backup system. You know, I mean, I don't know too much about mall construction, but I would think it has. You know, like if there is an emergency, you know, and the power
0: cuts, cut. Probably generator Yeah, exactly. And stuff.
1: So it is kind of self-sufficient if you're able to just upkeep, like Vincent Price. And, and not to mention Last that it's full of
0: stores with merchandise,
1: yeah. and, and things that you could live. So on, if from. you can, lo- if you lock that shit up and you kind of, you know, hide it away from everybody, you could practice. You know, it's like a castle.
0: So Romero says.
1: And this is new too. Yeah. This is like wow. This is like a new concept. Seventies yeah. malls. This is you pretty know, cool.
0: And so the sparks lit. You know the the the, the initial gem of an idea starts to percolate. As yeah, the I like to yeah. say. Yep. Now uh, he meets Richard Rubenstein, and they do Martin. Yeah. And so the first
1: meeting of Tom Savini as well.
0: Well, he knew Tom Savini beforehand, but it's the first working. Yeah, because
1: he was Savini. supposed. To, Tom Savini was supposed to do Night of the Living Dead, do makeup effects, but then he had to go to Vietnam. He was drafted, or he yeah, didn't.
0: there was something about. and There's also something about that he met Thompson. He was casting a project where he needed high school students, and he went to a local high school, and, uh, you know, an audition drama, club. Kids, Yeah. And he met Tom there and actually cast Tom. But then that project never came to fruition. Yeah. And then Tom went off to Vietnam.
1: Well, he was also, I think, had an upbringing of dabbling in makeup and doing stuff like that. So maybe there was some sort of... At some point, he was supposed to have some sort of dealings with the, the yeah. creature effects on Night of the Living Dead. Wasn't able to so... He knows him at this point. He kind of calls Savini as well and says, hey, look, whatever Savini's doing, he goes, start devising ways of well, killing he, people. Well, now
0: he had done Mar- Martin's just before. Martin comes out the same year. And then Savini also does comes the out, effects for that. Also act. comes out in 78. So Savini plays a small part in Martin. and he A mustacheless <laughs> Savini, which I don't trust. <laughs> Sorry. And, and does the effects for Martin. Yeah. So then uh, Suspiria comes out in 77. I don't know when it comes out here. Maybe Dario but Argento comes to America and he meets Romero because he was a fan of Night of the Living Dead. And they're talking about, you know, projects and he's, and Romero and Richard Rubenstein tell Dario that they're working on doing a sequel to Night of the Living but they're,
1: Dead. But they're having problems kind of financing. They can't
0: find anybody interested. Yeah. They're yeah. having trouble with financing and Dario says, I'll get you money. Like I want to be a part of it because he loved, yeah, the original, and he had a lot of respect for Romero because of it. So they create a deal. Uh, Dario brings in some money from from European, you know, uh, sources. He he brings he says to Romero, "Come to Rome." Just a stroke of genius. All this, I think. Yeah, come. I'll put you up in a place, seclude you, write your freaking script, you and write the movie you want to make. Come in Rome. I'll find money, and I'll handle European, I'll handle international and European distribution yeah. for it. And so he goes to Rome. Romero and Christine, go, his wife, go to Rome. He works on the script. It's during this time, oddly enough. There's
1: a side story which we brought up before, yeah. <laughs> which
0: you've talked about before, which is while in Rome doing this, he goes to a restaurant, and sitting next to him at a restaurant is a family from Pittsburgh, yeah. I believe, which is where... You know, not, not where Romero's originally from, but where Romero's hailing from at this time. He does a lot of his
1: movies. But Night of Living Dead is based out of Pittsburgh, as is Martin. It's yeah. A space of Operations. Know, the,
0: the, the, area, the suburban the, area yeah, the love, of the Pennsylvania. Evan City and, and the later Monroe, Monroeville. And one of the kids in this family is a young Greg Nicotero.
1: Yeah, high school kid who's thinking of going, being the father's a lawyer maybe, and he's thinking of going into law too. Something like he was, that. He, was, he think he's in high school and he's got plans to to enter into college, into law school. But he's sitting at Rome. Uh, they're on vacation next to him. Hey, you're American, too. What's your name, George? Oh, you're from Pittsburgh? Well, I do movies there. you know, And they start and like, oh, my God, you're
0: made of the living dead. Yeah. <laughs> and so he meets a, gr- a young Greg Nicotero and later invites, when they go to make the movie, invites Greg Nicotero to come. And I think his brother... To come and like shadow Savini to yeah. see how a movie be is like made.
1: PA's production assistants on the film, and then later
0: body. they become like proteges of Savini, and then he, are, are in and do help do effects for Day of the Dead and tells his Evil dad. Dead too. He's like, Dad,
1: I'm not going to go into. I'm going to do film, I'm not going to be. So it's just a little yeah. side. And then now Nick, Greg Nicotero is the biggest thing. It probably yeah, he directs, he and does produces Walking, the, walking, walking dead, dead. He does all the he does has a hand in almost all the. Oh,
0: the company that he created with uh, Howard Berger and uh, something, Kurtzman, not not Robert Kurtzman, but whoever, the they created K&B. Yeah, yeah. And they became, you know... They, the major effects people. Yeah, and even though, though I, Evil Dead 2. All,
1: all through the 90s, they're doing stuff.
0: And even though I'm not sure that they that company still exists, still Nicotero and Howard Berger, they still have their hands in most pr- 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 practical printing money in the basement. Practical effects.
1: Yeah. So that's a side thing while Romero's just, uh, you know, doing the script out in Rome. But it's it's a great partnership because he's able to get... He's already guaranteed an international distribution with an international audience. You have a guy who's huge in Italy at the time who is this new like um, auteur director saying, hey. Well,
0: by 78, uh, Argento is at the height of his power. Yeah.
1: I mean, he's making he, arguably some of his best films as He well. had
0: reinvented, in 1970, he had reinvented the quote-unquote giallo film, which yeah. we've talked about. Check out our Deep Red cast. But he reinvented it with uh, Bird with Crystal Plumage. Yeah. Had hits all through Bird with a Bird with crystal plumage, uh, the, the subsequent films, the, the animal trilogy of Cat and Nine Tales, and Four Flies in Grey Velvet, which sparked, which we've always talked about with Italy. Like once Italy gets a. Their, ha- their teeth into something that's successful, sparks all kinds of ripoff off Giallo films that have animals in the title. Then he decides he doesn't want to do Giallo. He does a movie called Five Days of Milan, doesn't do so well. So he says, eh, you know what? Giallo doesn't seem so bad. Reinvents the Giallo genre again. With Profondo Rosso. With Profondo Rosso, Deep Red, mm-hmm. which was a massive hit. Yeah, huge. Huge. Profondo Rosso. Here, everybody loves Suspiria, but probably worldwide, deep red is probably his most regarded. Is, is was the film he's best known yeah. for like in Italy whenever I talk to it Italian people from Italy. They're like, oh, Profondo Rosso. They very rarely are like, oh, Spirio. Well, he's become
1: like the Steven Spielberg of Italy, where people, like, even if you don't like horror, you know who he is. Oh, he's, yeah.
0: He's a huge entity. He's, he's on...
1: A, he's like he's on, on, on judge, judging on, like, you know... He's uh, on TV shows. He's, as like reality shows. He's the guest judge or whatever. So he is this huge... He's a big, big deal. So there. for Romero to, to get this deal... And then he makes a spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same... Basically around which the same year. Which is his
0: follow-up film to Profondo Rosso. He makes a spirit, comes out in 77, which you know, it gets the, released here too, which is you know a big deal. So, uh, internationally, especially in Europe, Argento is
1: he's the shit. So, Romero already hits a home run having this guy sign on because he's getting financed through him, he's getting distribution. And then I think Romero and it's um, Argento, and I don't think there's any kind of argument, I think Romero readily agrees. Argento just says, Hey, you know can I have final cut for the international non-English version?
0: Yeah, it's either... I don't, I'm don't. i unclear as if it's the original part of the original deal or if later when Romero shows him the extended cut, which is like the first finished cut.
1: Because they had the Russia cut for Cannes Film Festival to be in Cannes, so... They rush together and do like an extended cut, which Romero says now he doesn't like as much as the theatrical cut, but that gets into con But I
0: think that's basically the cut Argento sees. And Argento's like, I can't sell this. like It's too long. So he strikes a deal. He's like, well, how about you keep like the English language to Romero? He says, you keep the English language. Your cut will be what all the English speaking countries uh, get. But I'm going to recut it. For Italy and 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 everywhere else. And rescore it with with Goblin. So he hires Goblin to come in and and do his own score because Romero. Or in the movie The (laughs) Goblin. Because Romero, uh, up to that point, had often used library tracks. Yeah. Which Night is- of, light of the Living Dead is all through library tracks, which is like you listen to records at the time, you pick the tracks you want, you buy the licensing right to use those tracks. And I think I
1: said to you that earlier this year I was revisiting re- revisiting the late 50s amazing show, uh, The Naked City, which takes place uh, in New York City. It's a cop show that's shot on location. And it's so funny, in some of the climactic scenes, all, all of a sudden I start hearing Night of the Living Dead music. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And it's because that you know these are all like. Library, yeah. So it's just sitting in the library. So that's 10 years before Night of Living Dead. You have So it's funny that you have this music embedded in your head from like the scene of the guy trying to break <laughs> into the car at the beginning of the cemetery and it's happening, you know, in this other show. And
0: all those songs are from movies in the 50s, you yeah, know, you like know all, the, all those cues yeah. are from. And TV. later
1: on, you see that in take Ren and Snippy, one of my favorite sequences of all time, the, the rubber nipple salesman. There's a cut where you hear that again uh, the, at the. The sequence, the music that's over the titles of Night of the Living Dead, that's shot in stills, that's in that Ren and Stimpy episode. So it's like, yeah, that library stuff was very accessible, cheap. It was a way out. You didn't have to worry about hiring a band or whatever. So the international cut is completely scored with library track.
0: Now, uh, originally, according to Donald Rubenstein, who I interviewed on Scored to Death, the podcast, He's probably you check out who's <laughs> best known for being the composer that scored Martin. Yes. Just before this, he says that he was originally going to score Dawn of, uh, Dawn of the dead. Yeah. And he had talked to Romero about it and he had even started making some, you know, demos. Yeah. Demos of rough cues that he might do. And he says, because of his deal with Argento, they ended up using Goblin. I don't know if that's true. It's kind of unclear as to how the Goblin music gets into Romero's theatrical cut. Well, I think probably whether it's contractually obligated or whether he sees what he sees doing. what Argento did and says, you know, I'll use some of those cues because he only uses like three cues. Yeah, he uses them more than once. Yeah, but he only uses and like those
1: for me are the most like legendary. Of that's the that music is endeared my head. You know seared on my retinas from childhood, those scenes and those segues. Yeah. So Romero finishes that, the script in Rome under uh, you know uh, observation of Argento, comes back to America with an idea to make this movie. So before we segue into that, Blake, I got something to tell <laughs> you about.
0: Dion, I got to tell you, as an avid TV watcher and a movie lover, I absolutely adore our latest sponsor, TiVo and their TiVo Bolts.
1: I got to agree with you. There's no better way to watch your favorite shows, movies, sports, and news than with this sweet baby right here, the TiVo Bolt Vox for cable, or if you're not a cable user,
0: the new TiVo Bolt OTA for over-the-air antenna users. TiVo is the Emmy-winning pioneer of home entertainment. And while they still have the amazing bolt for cable, they are now bringing that paid TV experience to antenna users. And that's amazing because, as we've stated on the show many times, we love watching antenna-based television. Exactly. In the bedroom,
1: all I watch is the antenna, and this has revolutionized my bedroom TV watching. Just like with my bolt, Vox for cable, now I can scroll through channel guides, I can skip commercials with a click of a
0: button, and even watch shows 30% faster with pitch-corrected sound. Plus, now I can get all my live TV, my DVR-recorded shows, and all my favorite streaming channels all in one place. And with OneSearch, I can easily find all my favorite shows and have them displayed on one simple screen. And it tells me if it'll be on TV, or if it's on Netflix, or Amazon Prime, or HBO Go, or Hulu, or Vudu, and it's all accessible with one remote. Blake, you know what I love about the
1: OneSearch? What's that?
0: Now you can use voice command. You don't have to
1: scroll through and type stuff letter by letter anymore. You can just hold down the voice command button on the
0: remote and tell TiVo what you want to search for and it finds it for you. Plus, TiVo allows you to access your content on the go and everywhere, from your TV to your mobile device. You know, Dion, the only thing I don't like about TiVo is that I didn't have one sooner. Me too! And now TiVo has put together a deal just for you, the Saturday Night Movie Sleepover
1: listener. You could save 20% off any TiVo Bolt OTA or TiVo Bolt Vox for cable. Just head over to TiVo.com/sat20 and remember
0: the promo code SAT20. Absolutely, save twenty percent by going to TiVo.com/sat20 and remember the promo code SAT number twenty. So he comes back. Now we,
1: we set this up. He, he's got this idea. Uh, you know, he's like he goes to his friend who uh, is part of the. the Uh, the company that manages the Monroeville mall. And he's like, Hey, can I use this mall? And it's, it's great. It's the era where everyone's like, sure, you (laughs) can do whatever whatever. you want. He says to the national guard, by that
0: point, like Romero's a local hero.
1: Yeah. You know, he's, he's brought in a lot of revitalization. He's putting these, these, towns and cities into these movies he's well respected he had a very uh, already iconic uh, horror film less than 10 years before that made the local area famous so people are more than willing to help him national guard you want them to come out and like you know use them uh, as extras? sure local police emergency ambulance first responders they come out extras are like we'd love to be be in another zombie movie sure we'll show up and you know and this is great that you have this kind of turnout for him because it ends up being like Savini talks about like something like he over the course of the two and a half months of shooting this, they had to they they may, probably made up over four thousand people because yeah. they were getting two to three hundred people a weekend that they would be making up in this assembly line for two and a half months. You know when they ended up shooting this, so they shoot it. What is it? I guess the the fall winter of seventy seven into seventy eight, and they 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 take maybe a week or two off from the mall because around christmas time all the stuff all the christmas decorations go up and how they got the they get them all is they're shooting at night so they only have if the mall closes at like nine or ten o'clock they have from then until like 6 a.m to to be done and cleaned up so very i think smartly uh romero decides instead of taking the time of having the entire crew have to take all this christmas stuff down and then at the end of the night you have to have time to put it back up he just says let's just you know have 2 weeks of a, of a thing and they they go shoot the other stuff the shoot out the, the exteriors of the farm stuff the airport inside the TV studio so they yeah. utilize that time very well but they get access to this mall which is it's amazing because today the 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 mall the uh, Monroeville mall is still the, there it's changed a lot um, aesthetically but it's still a pilgrimage people love to go you know that want to go to and uh, I think the area's kind of declined, too, like, you know, sadly. I
0: don't know. Unfortunately, I never, I didn't get to go there when I went to the area. I went to Evan City to the cemetery a couple of years ago with uh, an old college chum of ours, Aaron and Mike Morona, who was on our Enter the Dragon cast. Yeah,
1: the actor from Pete and Pete and such, uh, a good friend of ours.
0: We went out there and shot something. Uh, a snuff film. <laughs> shot of porn in, yeah, the, in the cemetery. Night of the Living Hump. Uh, yeah. Uh, We're looking for distribution. But we didn't have time to go over to the mall. That's a lie. I I don't (laughs) know what the (laughs) – Because people are like, did you really shoot Night Living Hump? That sounds awesome. It's a character-driven period piece. Uh, We didn't get the chance to go to the Memorial Mall. We did go in Evan City also, just maybe a a half a mile or something away from the cemetery, is the Museum of the Living Dead or something, the Living Dead Museum. Yeah. Now, apparently, the Living Dead Museum, uh, just a very – very brief shout uh, out shout out to, shout out to yeah. them. They used to be in the Monroe- Monroeville mall. Okay. And I guess they left there and uh, apparently not, none of the mall still ex- Like the mall doesn't look anything like From
1: years. That little footbridge was still there up until maybe 10 years or more now, ago. Even less. Cause okay.
0: at the time over the water in the mall. M- yeah. When we were at the museum, he was talking about how he might be getting the footbridge. But they they said to him, "Do you want it?" And then somehow he kind of talked them out of it, saying, "Well, maybe like the Heinz people want it." Heinz Hine, ketchup, like yeah, because the Heinz one of their
1: varieties. It's a
0: it's a Pittsburgh
1: oh, okay. institution. Like, yeah, that's
0: where the, that's where the factory is, and the, like Heinz is a big deal in Pittsburgh. And they were putting in some kind of sus, sus, you know historical society or whatever. And I don't think he ended up getting it. Not positive, but But what? But what he does have? Yeah, i was gonna say you got to see is
1: the elevator doors from the climactic scene. (laughs) Yeah, which I don't think was in the move. Right? Was I don't think was in the mall. Like they 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 built the elevator set, but I wonder if those doors specifically were doors that they used part of this. You know, because why would you get? You know, I want the elevator doors from Sears and Roebuck, the back elevator doors when you guys remodeled.
0: Well, he got the he got them from the mall. Oh, he did. Okay, must have been. Uh, so he
1: did do that then. I want yeah. <laughs> you know, the Sears and
0: Roblox. Somehow, I mean, may, I guess maybe everybody just at that area knows. Yeah, what, what's, what's up. where
1: it was. In tradition. Now, funny
0: enough, right now I, I've become very good friends, and I work with one of the guys who wrote the theme song, the theme music to Score to Death, the podcast. He's from Evan City. Okay, and so his high school is the is in the, the Crazies. Oh wow. And a, a producer, the original I'm, movie, yeah. And then the and a producer I'm working with right now is from Monroeville. Oh wow! And like Monroeville Mall was like his hangout when he was a kid, which is what like
1: probably seventies, eighties, nineties.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's a, I think he's just a couple years older than us. So like eighties, nineties was like his, you know, when. You're a junior high or whatever back in the day. You would hang. And hang how cool out the was mall. that when you
1: discovered that this movie was shot there? You go explore the movie, then you go back to that location. You're like looking like here's the footbridge, here's the thing, you know.
0: Now the you know the movie itself. So
1: what's the name of the place? Then the shout out to that place. Um, I
0: think it's called the Living Dead Museum. Yeah, and if you think it's it's
1: if you're in the area, go check it out. Right. Yeah, That's totally. Cool. And then it's, you it, the cemetery from the original movie is accessible, kind of too. Oh yeah,
0: you could just drive right up yeah, there.
1: Yeah, and, and
0: we didn't get permission to shoot there. We just went. And shot. Yeah. There. and then I
1: think the farmhouse from the original movie's torn down. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we didn't go looking for, for much more yeah. than than what we ended up going. And the through. mall is still there, like we're the mall's still there. But my point was that like even the footbridge isn't there anymore. Yeah. it's
1: completely. How many years? It's almost fifty year or forty years. Duh. So it's like, <laughs> you know, malls. You're lucky the mall's still there, not just you know. But it's closed. they
0: did just recently put like a commemorative bust of Romero oh, after in the his mall. passing. Yeah, because
1: I had seen. Two years ago, there was one of these, uh, like, uh, what do you call those? Wild and out videos of, like, you know, there's, like, a bunch of, uh, like, a, like, a big group of people. And then suddenly they start fighting or they start punching people. Yeah, There yeah. was footage I saw of someone on a camera like phone. A flash mob
0: type Yeah, business.
1: in the mall. And there was this huge fight. And someone's looking from the second floor down. And there's, like, you know, scores of people fighting. And you're, like, Jesus, it's it's the, the zombies has come through. It's really, you know, it's in, in the Monroe Mall. But uh, it seems like this was all, like, the, the right you know, like the proper time, like lightning in a bottle, where he's able to get up because this becomes arguably his most. I guess it's not his most successful or profitable movie, but because I think Creepshow ends up, you know, being more successful. But this I is.
0: I think this is. I could be wrong, but I think it's considered. I think it's the favored zombie movie of his trilogy by by a probably a majority. And I think I'd agree with you because a lot of I it's think not necessarily my favorite. Yeah, but. I think it's the most iconic of his films. Where he's a way. able to
1: explore these themes and lay out this stuff and really address kind of the stuff. With that-, that
0: and it was just like it was pushing gore to a level that it wasn't like he invented it, but it was not common. You know, you could get into the Herschel Gordon Lewis stuff and you know and, and uh even what was going on in places like Italy and stuff, but it was pushing the boundaries of what uh, most american audiences were used to i think
1: you're right because i think that it, people will cite this movie as this kind of kind of open the floodgates to that level that you start seeing in slasher films i mean the, the
0: blowing up of the head yeah. in the beginning which is like become a, a sabini trademark kind yeah. of starts i mean with it, it is
1: groundbreaking i remember when i was little another thing because of my affinity for like you know uh, I, I, I you know because it's I don't know. It's like your obsessions are also what you kind of fear. So like me being so scared of zombies growing up, I remember going to like Pathmark or the grocery store to rent your video. And Day of the Dead was a bo- Day and Dawn were boxes I yeah. get, and Day you turn it in the back was so iconic and scary, and so was Dawn. The cover for me was the Dawn was, uh, what's his face when he comes back, or is it Roger? There's Roger Flyboy.
0: No, Ro- Roger is the the
1: the, the SWAT team.
0: Op- is the yeah. SWAT team guy that comes back in yeah.
1: the bed. Now he's the cover. I always knew growing up was his face on the cover, which was very scary. So when you get these movies, my point is, even when I was little, it's like okay, uh, Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth. Those are horror movies, but for me, uh, it was almost like a taboo. It was almost like watching a pornographic movie, renting something on the level of Dawn or Day of the yeah. Dead, because it was going to be that much of a uh, of a startling, you know, difference. Also,
0: you know, I think, you know, other, other than Night of the Living Dead, which, you know, borrows a lot from I Am Legend, the Matheson story, which we talk a bit about uh, in our Last Modern on Earth podcast, um, that siege type story. Other than that, I'd say Dawn and Day are not like your typical horror movie. Like, no. They don't necessarily work on the beats that you think of, of a traditional horror movie, the traditional horror movie monster. They're very different, you know. Well, yeah, it seems a- like
1: even Dawn has a very long first act
0: for me, you know. And, and you know, I think to their benefit, you know, I think Romero, uh, even with Night, I think more so with Dawn and Day... It's about relationships. Yeah. It's about a group of people put in a situation that for the con- in the context of the movie is fantastic, you know, and not in not great, but like in a fantasy type scenario scenario, uh, you know, pushed to limits that, you know, hopefully will never have to be pushed to. But it's how these relationships work and grow or destruct. In in this kind of predicament,
1: yeah, the, the you pressure. know,
0: and uh, and I think it's why these three movies specifically have become classics and have stood the test of time yeah. because they're really dramas, yeah, you know, well, you can, you set can, in a, set in a horrific backdrop, and you can, which I think the best horror films are,
1: yeah, you can bring a lot of the again with the seventies, you can bring a lot of what's happening there. Uh, in the world into these movies the same thing with the 80s with Day of the Dead and I I think
0: with Romero films you kind of have to if we're going to talk about especially his dead films we have
1: to I don't feel like he even thought of that. That was a byproduct. He's like, you know, I mean, we talk about how the, the actor, when he cast Ben in Night of Living Dead, it wasn't an act of choice. I'm going to hire an African-American to be the lead. It was just, he was the best actor to fill the su- shoes. And he's like, it didn't matter to him that he was an African-American yeah. saying like, you know.
0: But at the same time, yeah, he says he picked the best actor for the part. Yeah. He just happened to be African-American. But at the same time, being in those times, and um, I feel like I've heard him say this, although it could be projecting, but I would have to say he could not have been ignorant
1: oh well, well, yeah
0: two connotations of, of it what it, maybe that's not why he cast an african-american but in casting an african-american what Didn't hurt what's that gonna mean like how's the movie gonna be, be perceived yeah yeah and so uh whether it was his intention i think at some point at least in the editing room with the way the night of living did ends of course and we're not gonna Spoil yeah, it. We can't get it on that thing yeah. because that's a epic episode so I, in I, and of itself. He, you know, I, I'm sure it it factored in and what's uh, the word I'm looking for um, played into p- what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it definitely informed what he was doing.
1: Yeah, we're here. I feel like he had a little he more time very, so he can. Let's, he he made know, a conscious decision because in the seventies here, you know, this was a big thing of this consumerism.
0: You have the mall, people well, you, going. We're and coming out the of post Vietnam, just post Vietnam. Yeah, and so what happens is, and you know, I think it's a bit of a trend. You know, it's a cy- cycle that when you when a war ends, there seems to be like an influx of. Uh, Consumerism, escapism, the economy gets better, and everything. And so, we're talking mid to late seventies, we're post Vietnam, and we're in the disco era.
1: Yeah. Also, you have the the, you have the financial crises of you know the oil embargoes or you know the gas shortages and stuff. There's these other fears going in there, and uh, you do have that idea of you know uh, not excess, but you, you you're saying it's like you know people are. Are interested in going and, 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 you know, you have at the end of the 60s with, with, the, with the code ending, and you have now you have these movies that could be R or whatever, you have the doors burst open with violence in cinema. Yeah. So after, and then people seeing maybe even more since World War II, Vietnam is broadcast into their living rooms or in their kitchens every night. So they're seeing the horror almost live. There's no like turnover. So when you get into the 70s, we talked about this, uh, I think, earlier this year. You have a lot of these social, political movies like Dog Day Afternoon, uh, you know, uh, All the President's Men, trying to make these political points. So you have that as a backdrop. Easy Rider into the 70s. Then you have this movie come out. And this movie's commenting on the gratuitousness, the violence you're seeing now in the culture, the horrificness of war, of people psychologically.
0: There's definitely that. But there's also this, you know, also overt, like, aspect of it, of this disco era of, like, let's pretend that everything's okay. Yeah. You know, like, we'll spend a lot of money, which he was almost kind of ahead of his time to thinking this idea of like, if I own these things, I'm going to be happy. Yeah. If I own these things, life's going to be good. Yeah. And this idea of like, let's ignore the problem. Let's pretend like, Vietnam didn't happen. Let's listen to the BGS, yeah, and go to discotex, abba, and have a good yeah. time. We'll start snorting some cocaine. Yeah. We'll start having a lot of unprotected. sex. Sounds like a party to me, you know. And so uh, and this is right before the AIDS
1: virus in the early '80s. You know, we get into a little of this in, the, in our cruising episode too, of this era of this decadence in each, Even earlier this year, the invasion of the Body Snatchers podcast of what's going on in that era of people self-help, self-medicating. Yeah. Uh, kind of, you write this distance even in the other side of cinema in the late 60s you have that escapism into the 70s but they're still doing like the Partridge family you still have variety shows on TV so you have this kind of disconnect of the entertainment versus the other gritty 70s you know
0: I think everybody always says Dawn of the Dead is like this uh, metaphor or allegory or whatever for consumerism yeah and I think definitely it is but I think consumerism is a very is just part of the overall idea of what we're talking about, this idea of the the ignoring the problem, pretending like you know everything's okay, that consumerism is like the buying, but' like yeah, I the said, advent of the new mall the idea of yeah, these places but also this idea of um this self created utopia. I think is what this movie is really about, to me anyway. Yeah. So like, we'll create our own world. We'll shut out the rest of the world. We'll be independent. And we'll live in paradise. Which is a dream that... Everyone who ever tries to do this will eventually have to wake up
1: from. <laughs> well, people try to do it even the small in their house. Yeah. You live in your house. You're, nowadays, it's prevalent where if you're a gamer, all these people, you know, these people live, they have their day job, they get that money to live for whatever they're doing. They're, they're you know, whatever, if it's good for you or bad for you, whatever your vices are, you know. So people, I think, you know, try to escape the the realities of the world by some sort of uh, uh, escapism, be it like, psychological with drugs or vices or mentally or I mean I don't know how much we need to get in,
0: I don't know how much we need to get into the actual plot of the movie but what I will say is Romero does a great job of over the passage of time which is what why this part where we've always talked about it, like we it seems like we pull over to the side in the middle of this movie and then things just happen I appreciated this time around yeah you know because it's like we're he's He's stretching time, he's stretching he's showing us the passage of time, them living in this space, and we also start to see the deterioration of the relationships, you know, where like this paradise is not great, they're not happy, yeah, you know, all the things they want they thought would be great about living in a mall don't mean anything yeah, you know the 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 sexual you know the romantic relationships on the rocks. Well, she's pregnant, you know, you know so. and things aren't great. You know, we have a what's great about, you know, Romero's dead movies. We see this, this evolution of the female protagonist. Yeah. You know, Barbara is like, a you know, a, a catatonic mess. Yeah, yeah. She's a damsel in distress catatonic mess. Uh, Fran in Dawn of the Dead opens as being a little bit of a damsel in distress, but says like, no, you know what? Like, give me a gun. I want to learn how to fly the helicopter. We see she has like this arc of taking on responsibility and you know not you know saying like I'm equal in this. I have a say. Yeah. This is there's four people here, not three. Yeah. And I want to say And and she makes that clear. That's actually from the movie, yeah. But we have this montage of life in the mall. We have, you know, Peter Ken Ferrari's character playing racquetball, we have like the makeshift dinner, and we have this kind of very poignant scene of Fran dressing up. Yeah. And almost being like nostalgic for I mean, what it was like to be a woman yeah, at like, one like point. Like she's almost bored by everything. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also like putting on the makeup. Like this is it's to me it reads as like you know, in way like life was figuratively and literally better yeah when this is what it was to be a woman
1: and then she <laughs> almost she comes crashing out of that almost you know it's, as, uh, it seems as quick as she
0: puts it on and then an, and then a day you get like the next progression of we have a the strong female character right from the beginning yeah, so you have a lead and she carries the plot now you know for, it, for me this idea of we'll shut out the horribleness of the real world we'll lock ourselves in here We have money, food, clothes. We have anything we want. Someone's still making bread. we live the high life. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And then, unfortunately, in a very real and figurative sense, the real world is going to come knocking at your door. Yeah, and mess it all (laughs) up. (laughs) Hey, Blake, you wear glasses. That's true,
1: I do. And do you ever wear contact lenses? I don't. But if I did, I would order mine from simplecontacts.com. Hey, I've heard of them. Isn't that the place where you can renew your contact prescription online and order new contacts from anywhere in just minutes?
0: Yes, that's them. All you need to do is take the self-guided five-minute vision test online. Then a real doctor will review it. And if your vision hasn't changed, they renew your prescription and order you your brand of contacts. It's vision care made easy. Plus, you can save money. The prescription is only $20. Wow, without insurance, an annual eye appointment can cost like up to $200. Exactly. And Simple Contacts' prices on contact lenses are unbeatable. And shipping is free. Free? Free. But do they
1: have every brand of contact
0: lenses? They do. And what if your prescription hasn't expired yet? Can you still order contacts? Yes, you can. Just upload a photo of your unexpired prescription or your doctor's info, and then just order your lenses. It only takes a few minutes and it's super easy. So you're saying that contact users can save time and money? That's exactly what I'm saying.
1: It's probably important to mention, though, that people still need to get their periodic eye health exam.
0: That's true. Eye health appointments cannot be ignored. But Simple Contacts is the most convenient way to renew a prescription. And reorder contacts if your vision hasn't changed. You don't have to take my word for it. Simple Contacts has been rated five stars over 5,000 times on the App Store. This all sounds amazing. If only I were Contacts. And if only I could save even more money than Simple Contacts is already low prices. Well, Dion, I can't help you with your first problem. But you and our listeners can save an additional $20 by going to simplecontacts.com SAT. That's S-A-T. Or use the promo code SAT at checkout. Wait, we can get $20 off by going to
1: simplecontacts.com slash SAT or by using the promo code SAT, S-A-T, at checkout? Exactly. So all you Saturday Night Movie Sleepover listeners, save yourselves time and money with Simple Contacts today. I love, uh, even from when I first saw it, I love the idea of where he starts the movie. Like, you know, it, I guess it's a conscious decision where you have night start Night's almost, not in the sticks, but it's rural. And then by the time you get to dawn, you're believing it's the same world that night ends, and yeah. this is happening. Now you're seeing the chaos maybe uh, uh, 12 hours later that's happening in the cities. Or like
0: in Philadelphia. Yeah.
1: You know, we're, we're in, like, you know, and they, even you have the opening where they're in the, the news channel, which is fun, and seeing all the old equipment, and they're doing, like, you know, the the, the zaniness there of people trying to, like, are you going to leave in an emergency? Are you going to hang out? Well, I you love
0: know? Romero's use of media. Yeah. You know, obviously, in a film like this... And in Night of the Living Dead, it's like your lifeline. Yeah.
1: You know, they're watching
0: the news and Night of Living Dead. very ahead of the
1: time too because that gives you, you get, that gives you your exposition. So you're filling the audience in very quickly of what's happening. That's the first thing, in both in night and I think when they get to the mall in dawn, let's just get a radio, turn a TV on, let's see what's going on. Yeah, and then yeah. you get caught Which up. Which is very
0: real. Yeah, yeah, of course. Know? But it's also like you said, it's a great way of, of letting the audience know as well as your characters what's going on. But they watch the news in night, here they are part of the news. We open with them yeah, working putting out for the news. the news, yeah, but we're we also we're start getting the uh you know this argumentative style of news <laughs> yeah that is much much more realistic to today than it was then. he's almost forecasting, and martin he's calling into a sensational radio show. Yeah. You know, Barton's lifeline to the outside world is this radio yeah. show. This almost shock. Well, you know, it hints at
1: thing. The dawn, I think, hints at what you see later on. A couple years in network, where people, if you work in the industry, people, this is a well-known secret, as well as say reality shows now. Yeah. But now, I think it's becoming more prevalent in the past. You know, I don't know, two three years of people talking about different sides of news and stuff. But certainly here, where you have at the beginning, where she's like, you know, they they're running these these stations, the lower thirds, which are out of date and they, they still want to, because they want viewership, you know, but at the same time you can't have people going, you know, so you, you set up very quickly the the world there, but
0: then they cut out. But you, you have the two people arguing and yeah. then later you have that other guy who I think oh, is in, in, yeah. in the crazies. Yeah, he's in the crazies. he's like, <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's great.
1: That for me is the beginning of act two when you see him again talking. But then you have very quickly, since, uh, you know, we're not going through the, I guess the the plot beats of the movie you cut to like they're gonna leave and you go to the you get what's happening like i'd say like the inner cities the projects almost like yeah. that and that scene for me like begs for an establishing shot because it's so like close up to medium shot of where, where are we are we on a roof are we on the ground but we're by a fire truck so that means we're on the ground but then it looks like they're on the roofs <laughs> yeah, yeah and then there's people coming out it look like they're in blackface and this guy's an indian Is he, <laughs> you know he's a white guy dressed up as an indian but, yeah you who know? i
0: think is the guy who played martin Oh, is that him? Running the guy around? with like the curly black, you know, wig and mustache with brown face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the uh, John Ambler. Oh, okay. I think his name. He played. Martin.
1: That's hilarious. Yeah, because you have a lot of these repeat people, and you see what's going on in, in, <clears throat> inside the, you know, and it's. I think that could have been staged a little better with Romero to, to understand it. Like you know, there's people that are segregated because of whatever divisions of you know urban renewal, upbringing, whatever, and you know these people, their dead have been dying. And they don't want to hand it over to the authorities, so they've been hiding them, yeah. you know, because of religious beliefs or whatever, they just, or because, you know, of, of s- some sort of ritual ceremony. They want to have a, a burial service for them, so they've been stockpiling them in their basement. Stuff that you could see very real- realistically happening, so that you have the swat. So you almost see, like, the degenerization of, uh, in Dawn of the Dead, of, like, all the like, culture. I feel mean, like, did you watch The Strain? Uh, no, I did not.
0: There's a little bit of that. Yeah. You know, like these you start buildings the... where things start getting closed down, but there's people that don't want to leave their houses. Yeah. And they're just, like, keeping <laughs> people there, even though they might be infected with this thing or, or dead or, and blah, blah, blah. So it's certainly uh, It's something... a theme in these
1: kind of movies, yeah. you know. And, and, and then in horror as well. You know, you hide away somebody who's infected or ill. You know, in a room, in a basement, whatever. And then when they become somebody else, you still have a kinship because, and that's the plot of these movies where they're like, you know, you can't, they're recently dead. You can't look at them as family. They're going to attack you. You need to destroy the body, burn it, cut the head off, whatever. Yeah. So you have, so you see what's going on, but you start seeing the crumbling of civilization and you get this montage at the beginning, which for me was very frightening when I was little. You go into, you know, it's it's a little hapdash with the crazy guy starting to kill people, but you have him kick the door open. He blows somebody's heads off, which is shocking for me when I was little. Seeing a shotgun head to the face, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you see like the other people that are crawling around. They they were using having like real amputees being zombies. And then when you get to the basement, when, when I love the the, the sequence where uh, you have Ken and Peter, or is it Ken and Roger? Ken
0: and Roger. I know. Peter and Roger. Peter
1: and Roger, the, the African-American Ken For, Foray. Foray yeah. And then the other gentleman, uh, 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 Roger, who played by Scott uh, yep. Reinecker. <laughs> I think it's Reinecker. Funny enough, <clears throat> in high school, I had a drama teacher. Uh, Tim Brown, Mr. Brown, and he went to college with him. He was his roommate in college. Was this guy Tim Reineker. or I'm sorry, uh, Scott Reineker. So I remember growing up, like in high school, he's like, uh, you know, oh, I know Dawn of the Dead, and of course he'd know Dawn of that because he's older. <laughs> but I'm like, you do? And he's like, yeah, my my roommate in college plays uh, what's his name in it, you know. But I so I like to see the two of them bonding, and then you have that priest come out. And a lot of times in Romero movies, I think a lot of his the performances suffer because there he has non actors playing these parts where conversely here you have a guy who obviously is a non-actor this one-legged uh he looks like he's uh, maybe haitian or or, or uh, you know one of those island priests but i think he does a fabulous job with yeah. his like you know he has like you know maybe a page of dialogue but for me it was always poignant where he's talking about like you know the uh there's more of us now but soon there will be more than you and then his last line when he parts like when the dead walk senores you must stop the killing to or or lose the war, I think he says, you know. And then when you open those doors to that scene where, you know, it's the first scene of all them keeping the zombies down scared, is very frightening for me. And then having to kill each one, and then you get the, the, the the intro to the goblin music in that scene, very iconic like that, you know. Yeah. And then they they end up they get their team together. They get in a the helicopter. They escape, and then that's where they're like looking to. To find a place to land well, in this they're helicopter, like low on fuel, and they're you know? trying to figure
0: out where. What are they going to do?
1: And you're going over the, you know, the the the, the what is
0: that thing?
1: Yeah, it's a, well, they and then you, <laughs> you see them go past the militias, and you see how like people are handling the sticks. You have yeah. the scene where they they refuel, and you have the great, you know, the head, the zombie with getting his head cut off, which got applause in the theaters when the guy stood up and the hilo. Which, the funny head. enough,
0: I, if I recall correctly, is one of the things that Argento cut out. Yeah, but you'd think like that would be something that he.
1: It's would weird. Keep See, in. there's and so what ends up happening too is when Romero is shooting all this, he ends up just shooting so much coverage, so to speak, of different well, angles of scenes. Style. Yeah, he
0: shoots a lot of. He, Romero's whole thing was, you know, I'll take, you know, give me ten mediocre shots instead of one good one. Like I want options in the cutting room. Romero's greatest strength as a filmmaker, in my opinion, is, is, is as an editor. Yeah. You know, if you watch The Crazies, that movie is, there's a million cuts in that movie. Yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah. But I think Romero is like, he's a fantastic editor. Yeah. And a fantastic, uh, and, and with that is one of the reasons why he can use library music so effectively. Yeah. Is because he's like a master of like cutting various cues together to make one unique cue in and of itself yeah and so romero was at, at his core an editor so the idea of like just give me a lot of coverage yeah and i'll make it work so
1: he ends up having a plethora of this coverage and that's the reason they're able to have all this extra footage then to be in a uh unrated cut or a director's cut and then i think there's even they say even though argento's cut is a shorter cut there is alternate shots that aren't in the two other movies. You know, Argento has access to all this stuff, too. Yeah. So since it's been so long, I've lived this life of loving this movie because I had really, probably the last time I watched the original movie was probably with you 20 years ago or so, or yeah. 15 years ago. So coming back and watching this, I forget where, like, there's some scenes, like, at the end when Savini puts the machete to the head, I have, isn't there's footage of, like, him, Toiling it around and then pulling it back out, which is gone from the theatrical release. You just see him popping it in. Yeah. So like everything overlaps like gravy, and I don't really know <laughs> what, what what's in what or what's in the other. Yeah. So you know you have this. They're flying. They're low, run, running low on you know on gas in the helicopter, and they they come across a mall and they're like, oh, what is it? You know, and they're like, hey, let's it's sit one down. Of those
0: new fang. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> You know, it's
1: a mall. You know. So. our
0: shopping centers.
1: And so it's a great idea because this was a big thing in the 70s. I mean, it's silly to think about, but like, you know, malls were coming of era in the 60s and you had strip malls with, you know, we're talking about suburbia and consumerism and urban renewal. But then by the 70s, these were this is where people would go hang out. And even in our youth, it was still an era where, you know, before the internet and stuff, oh, you yeah, hang out well, people, you mean, go to the, the, the mall. The 80s are, you know. Yeah, the
0: prime example prime, in all these uh, movies. You know, the 80s are known for like this era of like decadence. And, yeah. and all that stuff. That's where you get like the Wall Street movies. Yeah.
1: And, and but even so much so like people going out and hang out at a mall. Let's go to the food court, mall rats. You know, th- th- there was an era of people would go. So th- then that also plays into there's a great idea, and I don't know whose idea it was, maybe Romero's or whoever else he was writing it with, that you further along. So not you're not just retelling. You're not rehashing the original Night of the Living Dead story in a different location. You you evolve the story a little bit by having the idea of oh these zombies are having trace memories. I, I really dug that when I was little. Like they're starting to remember. Yeah. Why are they coming to the mall? Well, it's some you know, some place they they remember or they liked or you know they're compelled to come here. Or at the end with Flyboy when he remembers where to go. Very scary for me. But they yeah, yeah. they start having these and then you see him. Try to s- explore that more in Day of the Dead with Bub. You know, say hello to your Aunt Alicia. You know, like d- in-, in domesticating the zombie. Yeah,
0: you know? Well, you know, when you look at the first, when you look at Night and Dawn. There, you know, since you brought up this fact of like not just rehashing Night in the in a new location, because in, a, in in a way they are in yeah. a certain to a certain extent. Um, I think there's much more. Character development. There's all that stuff we were just talking about, about the extended life in this mall and how it affects the relationships. Night of the Living Dead is like discovering there's a problem. Dawn of the Dead is ignoring the problem. Day of the Dead is trying to deal with the problem. Yeah. yeah. But, or once it got out of hand. You know, trying to fix the problem. But, uh you know, but when you look at Night and Dawn, you have like this little. There's like three groups. You know, you have the zombies that are outside. You have the besieged that are inside, the house or the mall, and then you have in night you have the posse, yeah, and in and in dawn the replacing the posse is the the biker gang, yeah, and this idea of um, that I love in dawn is something that is all about and is is what Walking Dead is all
1: about. I know, that's, yeah
0: you know like oh well they they got their own army and they've been surviving out here for for you know for since probably since the beginning and all this stuff. You know what I love is like this the savage you know nature of the gang. The Mad Max of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Which how it's
1: very uh, as unrealistic as it sounds it's very realistic in a in a post-apocalyptic sense. But
0: it's also something that's a little bit hinted at with like the 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 guy that goes crazy killing everybody in the
1: oh, in the, the, the project. And then yeah.
0: Roger yeah. starts to kind of lose it. You yeah. know, Roger starts like he gets. Woo, well, there's, woo, a great, yeah. there's a great evolution
1: <laughs> because he's so calm at the beginning. But then, yeah, he starts. He's the first one that starts kind of getting like complacent and getting into it so much so that he gets bitten.
0: Yeah. But, and, but it's always
1: the outside forces that and even and fuck everything. Even
0: up. Peter is like, look, man. You need to chill. (laughs) You need to chill. (laughs) Like, you know, you need to pull your shit together. Yeah. Like, it's not just your life in your hands. It's mine, too. You know, but you get, like, how easy it is to, like, lose yourself. This, like, almost Lord of the Flies type, like, aspect. You know, given these new circumstances, how easy it would be to kind of, you know, lose yourself and and let almost primal instincts kind of take over. And I also think it's interesting that, like, everything... Is about like consumption. You know, we talk about like the themes of consumerism to consume. Yeah. You know, the uh, zombies are trying to consume the humans. The humans are trying to, they're consuming like the mall, you know, the goods in the mall. The the gangs, the gang want to come in and they want to take it. They want to, it's all about like consumerism in both financial and <laughs> you know in a very real yeah. <laughs> like eating sense it's just uh, there's and you know i really liked maybe it's because like i haven't really visited in a long time i don't know we've said it in this show a lot of times it's fun to revisit these things because as an adult you view things differently yeah With life experience or just having seen other things uh this movie definitely meant much more to me now, yeah, as like as a 40 year old, uh, why well, then watching it when we, 20 <laughs> when, years when ago we were tw- when we were 19? Yeah, I, <laughs> I see.
1: I was so in the midst of it back then that when I came back to I was saying to this when we decided which one to do, I was like, you know, it's kinda like you were saying a couple weeks ago when we did Halloween with Mike Vanderbilt, like you knew all the knowledge already. It's like yeah, when yeah. you learn a martial art, you learn as much as you can, then you forget about it so that it'll come spontaneously to me. I had forgotten all this. So when you started asking me questions like which version do you like or which I was like, Jesus, I haven't these synapses haven't fired <laughs> for fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. So at it's L- funny you were going, in school, you wrote a paper about them. I, I compared yeah, I did night to dawn and all that kind of thing and in today and I was I was hugely into them at the time. Time. And then just, you know, after after college, uh, I kind of went the other way. And it's it's funny because that idea well, is some
0: of those movies get you saw them so many times. Yeah, it's like Fisher, and We've talked about I them on the show. Yeah. Like you see it so much. You see much, it you're them like you and you know it and you don't ever need to watch it. Yeah. again. but now it was such so an important part of your life. But then, yeah, now but, it's but now as we're adults and we're revisiting these movies for the podcast. and I talk about this in the Rocky podcast, which I didn't revisit that for the podcast. I just happened to revisit it. But now, as you know, watching these movies in a different time of our lives, we have a whole different perspective. These movies mean something completely different to us now.
1: And for me, with the Walking Dead series, uh, it was why I fell off of the comic book initially before the series even came out. Uh, And then why I've kind of fallen off out of the recent show is just because it becomes these I don't know if it's logically, but these shows always end up in the same, not to show these stories, in the same er arena where it's like, uh, the post-apocalyptic people getting into gangs, and it doesn't—it's not about in *Walking Dead* the zombies anymore. It's trying to survive, you know, where the humans are. War—it's a point they—they kind of make adequately in 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 the remake *A Night of the Living Dead*, where at the end they realize that like we're us and they're them, and. You know the monsters may not be the zombies; they're a byproduct of us, like Frankenstein was last week. We're really the evil people because by the end, which I find really startling, in the end of the remake of Night of Living Dead, is that like when stuff's getting under control, people are enjoying it. You have these biker gangs that are like having fun, drinking beer, and like fighting the zombies, or they're lynching these these zombies and they're having them as target practice. So it's like. That's where it becomes too fucked up for me where you have these shows where it's no longer about trying to survive against a zombie. It's trying to survive against your fellow man who now has lost all the principles of society or the civilization and being civilized.
0: I would like to ask you a question because, you know, this question, you have to kind of think a little bit of. You're separating yourself from Night of the Living Dead to Dawn of the Dead. You know, how you, you know, don't. Try to, th- in answering this question, try to try to imagine that maybe when you watch Night of the Living Dead, thinking of Night of the Living Dead, that you don't know about Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. The question is, you know, to me, I find it very interesting that Night of Living the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, almost ends kind of optimistically. Yeah, like it seems like they're getting it under control. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead ends much more bleakly less bleakly than the original ending which I'm sure we'll mention just before we we have to wrap it up but feels more optimistic Dawn feels more yeah. optimistic something. there's something the, the about ending th- they put on
1: feels a little optimistic because there's a turnaround where they're like they make a decision where they're not going to let this you know they're not going to end it by killing themselves or something just about up. I
0: don't know if it's the black and white or just the fact that we, you know, spoiler alert, that we lose Ben. Well, uh, you take out then, all the, that. And then the stills and stuff. You do there's feel like... There's something about the end of Night of the Living Dead that just feels so dreadful. Oh, see, for me... so bleak.
1: See, for me, I When feel I watch like, Night of the Living Dead. I feel like night is... They're getting the situation under control where the posses are out, you're talking to reporters, they've got dogs, stuff, you know, we're, 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 we're having search parties, we're tracking all zombies down, it's gonna, you have then, then when Ben is, spoiler, killed at the end of night, <laughs> and oh, it's 50 years, spoiler alert, and then the the dreadfulness is, almost to me, is like the human psyche, or even on a personal level, see, we're getting a little into night, of just like, all that he's gone through that night is gone, and now he's just like trash, like all the others, you know, yeah. so there's the bleak of like the human, Person and the human psyche, and it's
0: also the baggage we bring to it, and
1: how they can treat—you know—humans can treat humans in such a way. So that's for me, is the bleakness of like, you know, the savagery we bring that is acceptable, like Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Into it by the end of night, even though the, it seems like stuff's getting under Where's control. like dawn?
0: They get away, but it's like to what they got? Like they got like no no, no gas. gas. Yeah, who knows? They you can know, only they, maybe they get got over nowhere that hill, to go.
1: You know, and then you see what happens in day. Day is. Completely run amok. Zombies have taken over the earth, and now there's pockets of people trying to survive. Maybe they're not, and they're trying to come up with a with a cure. Which at this point is kind yeah, of yeah. One well, day is the
0: most, believed you know, from the from, yeah. from the get go. I mean, even that they're living in
1: yeah. They're living in like a military days. Yeah. <laughs> like
0: these military mines underground with so, no light. So I think
1: night. Li- Ends on an optimistic note in a sense where they're going to have the epidemic under control, but then ends on a very dour note of where's our society headed? Yeah. You know, what we're now, what we deem acceptable, you know, because now we're treating, you know, there's and always I think been. There's, a,
0: like I said, there's this baggage of, you know, white. Race. Yeah. Trash. Yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better term. Sure. You know, pulling out the black man with, like, lead hooks. Yeah. And like, there's just, know, like, there's all this. It's the
1: imagery that you bring to it, yeah. you know. And that. And then, you know, that that he's treated no differently. And I never saw uh, the original ending of Knight being racist. Like, oh, it's a black guy. who must kill him there's connotations
0: there but no, I, I said it's the going I know right like it's the baggage that we bring to yeah. it that makes it that yeah and I I but then it's not in the con it's not in the context. yeah I think the ending I think is part of Romero yeah,
1: saying, showing like, it to you like I'm saying like but this is yeah it, yeah this you know, is like having
0: get informed. Yeah, the fact that he he ends it with those like, you know, stills and stuff. But, but it also the, shows for in the me narrative. It's not because he's black. Past the
1: race racial aspects of it, it's also what we're you know. There's always been a level of acceptance, which I think society's kind of growing out of. Of you can treat animals a certain way. You can go hunting for sport, or you can treat. Oh, it's a dog. You know, we have a lot of lex- stuff in the psyche. Like you know, they tr- you wouldn't treat a dog that way, or you know, blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah. And now like you see people are being better like with animal rights and stuff. But then these movies. It's like you see that they're, we're doing this to ourselves. We're to, even though they're zombies, we're still freaking. We're having fun killing them. This is we're getting crazy, you know. So there's a level of savagery there where now we're doing it to ourselves. So where does the where does society, where can it possibly lead to, you know? And then in Dawn, it's the same kind of a thing where we're enjoying this. And it's always it seems humans just ruin everything. Humans ruin the earth by globalization, <laughs> cutting things down, treating everybody like trash, destroying the earth. And then even in this movie, like they're fine in there. They could probably live. Who knows how long? I mean, I don't know how long they, their food's gonna last or their supplies uh, past the point of like you know the the, the you know the, the textiles they have to wear. But then of course the outside forces, the biker gang, come and they ruin it all. It's another humans. You know, they're not trying to politely go up to them. They're trying to,
0: like, run a break And they break ruin in. it all for, like, nothing. Yeah,
1: there's no... It, but it's very realistic in that sense. Yeah. They're, like, just, they're, they're drunk It's not rioting. like they're
0: going to sneak in and take over.
1: No, they're coming and in they're And they're going to want
0: to live there. They just want what, what they don't have. Yeah, and it's... And even, you
1: can argue at this point, do you need money in society? Do you need this stuff? But they're still grabbing at stuff that... It's like looting. You know, they're, they're still grabbing TV. Like they're just they're grabbing, b- you know.
0: Blow the window open and just let all the zombies yeah, in. They, 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 don't they don't want even the think space. Of no,
1: they want to loot. You know, they yeah, want to loot. Just... Get fur coats or whatever that they, these. They, we, we, we want what you have in there and then we're going to yeah. just, you know, take it on the side. So, you know, you get to. They get to the mall and, uh,.
0: I don't think we got to wrap it up, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we're getting to that point. We got another uh, a couple minutes, and then you know, very quickly they're able to take over the mall. They secure the mall, and they start living there. And like you're saying, they start living in this world where, uh, sadly, too, that we have um, Roger gets bitten when they're trying to seal the mall off, and you have this little existence where he lives. And it, it becomes sadder because he's ill. I think if he didn't, it might have not have been so dour if he didn't get bitten but you have the rea- reality of the situation where there is more of a clock now he start we have her she's pregnant uh they're trying to go through the normal like um uh, motions that you would you know that this is what you're supposed to do to be happy they're dressing up going to dinner yeah they're yeah. doing stuff like that but they're, they're trying to just like uh distract themselves from what's going on outside yeah and for me like act 2 begins where you have like after they secured the mall and you have them like you see the zombies knocking on the door and you have that Guy in the eye patch on TV talking about you know uh, there are not people you can give even give animals tools and they'll use it they must be destroyed on site yeah. you know like that's Act Two of them in the mall but then also the problem is Rogers dying uh, you know she's getting bigger because she's pregnant and that for me I've always thought it was so like one of my favorite points in the movies when. Like Rogers on his deathbed, and he's telling uh, Peter like I'm going to try not to come back. And in the remake of Dawn, they had what's his face. He gets bitten the guy from Max Hedrum. Uh-huh. and you know they have this scene where you have Ving Rhames I think with him, and there he's like I'm going to, but he doesn't say it. I wish they had him say like I'm going to try not to come back. And instead, he starts reminiscing, if I remember correctly, about like his life or something, and he's going to lose his daughter. Yeah, I wish they had that. They made that point for that. But in,
0: in, in the remake, unfortunately, like it hadn't been around that long. What? The, oh, the, the the yeah, like the epidemic. They're they're more in the situation of like what night, night of Dead, of yeah. what night, like a people at night were. Yeah,
1: and, and the remake of Dawn. I I I used to always trash remakes, and and you know I love the remake of Cape Fear. I love the remake of Night of the Living Dead. It's a couple other stuffs I I liked. So when Dawn came, I was so pleasantly surprised because I. I used to not like the fast running zombies of for years I didn't like the return of the living dead. I thought it was a bastardization because the second one's a comedy, you know, yeah. and all that stuff. Uh I've come to come around. And I really like the, re- the 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 original return of the living dead. I haven't seen the sequel uh the comedy probably since the 80s. But so when I first saw the remake of Dawn in the theaters, it's a story for another day, which is it's pretty funny, but I was completely into it even though they're fast moving and all at yeah. first and I kind of logically tried to say oh maybe because they just recently died rigor hasn't set in so and then when rigor sets in they're stiff slow walking and then after 12 to 24 hours when rigor releases that's why they're fast-moving zombies again, you know. So yeah, it, yeah. I found it believable. But there's a lot of points in the remake that the Zack Snyder's movie that I really enjoyed, and they have they interject more people into it. They have a lot of other of these situations they set up in the original Dawn that they explore in the remake of Dawn, which I really enjoyed. Um,
0: you know, it's you know what's with this movie though. I think what's interesting is like we get the two different kinds of relationships that are most commonly portrayed in movies. You get like the romantic male female relationship and you get the buddy relationship. Yeah. Now both in both relationships one of those partners die. Yeah. And it's the ones that you know, she's she's it's the ones that have their heads screwed on the most straight. That survive. That end up survive. Yeah. And she's you know, she's the one that's like willing to adapt. Yeah. She's like, I'm you know I'm going to get out of what is stereotypically the female role, and be part of the and be part of this, uh, in 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 a very equal and uh, almost male sense in the context of the world of the movie and 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 our preconceptions as viewers. And it's Peter Ken Foray who you know just. Puts his head down and, like, grin and bears it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, deals with the situation at hand.
1: You can see it's really getting to him when he has to kill the kids at the beginning at the airport. Like, he sees the horror. I always love that when you see the people.
0: But he keeps his shit together. And then at the end, it seems like he's given up. Yeah, and this is where we get like the original ending of this, which was going to be way more bleak. Which is uh, which up. I'm really actually
1: really into. Which I don't know, and I and I, I don't know why I have a, a memory of seeing it because it never was released. But it's like the original ending was going to be that he was going to kill himself because he
0: goes, he's like, I don't want to go.
1: Yeah, you go by yourself.
0: Which I th- I don't know seems far fetched. Yeah that he would have left her. And yeah. that she would have been like, well, I need you.
1: Yeah, I'm <laughs> pregnant and I'm driving a helicopter out of here.
0: You know, like, I feel like he would have went even if it was just for her. Yeah. Even though he didn't want to go. But he's going to shoot himself. He's got his little gun.
1: Yeah, a little Dillinger, which probably wouldn't do any damage. He's going to hit himself in the temple and <laughs> like he's still alive.
0: And then she... Or would, And then when she gets in the helicopter, she's supposed to be like, look at what... Uh, take stock of what's going on. Which and, we
1: see all that. They, yeah. shot, they shot all up into that point and then I guess in the original version she was going to say fuck it going to stand up and, and always killing yourself put her heads up in the blades <laughs> and then I like I love the idea that which they, I
0: guess the guy the zombie at the front was kind of foreshadow for that well no they, they, he had cast her head and
1: Savini says he remembers shooting it Romero says they didn't shoot it R- Savini says I remember shooting it but because, I mean in
0: terms of the script to have the original zombie at the beginning of the movie get his head cut off with the blades oh, see, was was probably in my mind seems like a script thing to say like later on, so the audiences know what she's doing. Oh, no, S- Savini explains
1: it that they cast a, a dummy head to 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 use for her. They don't use it, so he puts. Uh, an afro on it and paints it black and they use it as the exploding head at the beginning of the movie. And then since they're not gonna do that scene anymore, they wanna still do it so then they oh, sh- they, see, they, yeah. they 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 say, Well we have this trick, let's use it. And then they they devise a better trick where uh, you know they have the guy the stand up. <laughs> yeah, where he stands up into the blades, which they end up animating the blades which I've never known. Yeah, I, didn't fishing know that line. Either. I thought the guy was just taking some chance and they've measured it right and he's gonna stand his head up into the blades. I mean Savini this is I also in high school got into Savini huge because there's episodes of uh, movie magic and his show. We talk about that horror uh, award show. I have a book that I uh, that I dug out uh, from my pit thing. Uh, it's a um, Savini called Grand Illusions. It's a it's the art and makeup techniques of, of Tom Savini. And I was there when you had that signed. By yeah, Savini. back in the late '90s. So it's like I uh, and there's pictures in this book of like they did. Drawings of the of the of the, the the schematics of how they did some of these effects, which is really interesting. Uh, so I was a huge fan of Savini at the time. So seeing him, he's he's got a he's got a couple. He's at a cameo. He's a zombie that gets run over by the truck, and then he's the biker zombie at the end. Blades. Blades. So it's like, I, and then he's doing him and the other guy uh, Tasso maybe. Tasso. They're doing all the special effects where that was very legendary. Him jumping off stunts, the thing. Yeah. Stunt, he's doing. I'm sorry. He's doing all the stunts because they didn't have enough money for stuntmen. So he's like, "I'll do it all." That sounds like something like you and I would do. <laughs> I'll just do all of. Yeah,
0: Dan, why don't you just jump over the yeah, railing? Sure.
1: Okay. You know. I mean, in, that we, in high school, we or in film school, we used to do that. We do a lot of our own stunts.
0: Well, you need someone to fall down the stairs. Yeah, i will do
1: that. Yeah. Exactly. I, f- I took a. F- I. I f- fell down a flight of like concrete stairs and i got hit by a saturn car half a dozen times and she didn't even use the footage uh but the, so i love savini at the time so seeing all his stuff where you have you're right it becomes a signature head blast him getting blown his head off and then he ends up blowing his own head off a maniac The machete the machete to the head and then these are techniques where it's very much like just almost the changing camera angles for it to work you see him uh, ripping somebody's stomach open for the first time which I think he perfects in Day of the Dead Yeah, you know a lot of these other tricks of like you know the sleight of hand where you know and I think what really ends up happening is they they He ends up using that 3M brand stage blood, which looks great on stage and in person. But then because of the stock of film they used, the stock, for some reason, picks up on the wrong colors so that when it develops, it looks terrible. It looks really red. So he learned very quickly that that's one is an issue. And Romero says, well, you know, Romero's idea to write it off. is like, well, we wanted to make it look comic booky. So this lends to the comic book feel, which you end up seeing like maybe in. Uh, Creepshow, because yeah. he's a big fan of the EC Comics kind of a fan. And then also, the other issue is that since they were they shot it in black and white, if you think about it at the time, there weren't a lot of color movies. You had the original Tales from the Crypt, where uh, there's a couple of zombie, I think, of what's-his-face-in-it, of... Um, Peter Peter Cushing, great zombie too. Yeah, it's a you know. So you you didn't have a lot of color movie zombies, so to speak. Is a lot of black and white. So I guess you're in the infancy of what you can use. You have that
0: Bob Clark movie, Death Dream, or or, or
1: Children shouldn't play with dead
0: things. Yeah. Well, there's the two of them. You know.
1: So it's like they they are kind of even though it's seventy seven or seventy eight, he's still kind of breaking new ground of how zombies look. So that's the reason why you get a lot of these gray blue zombies that don't again photograph well. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, I think he makes some huge strides, Savini, in this movie, uh, of what he's able to do.
0: Well, I mean, he'd only really done more. Yeah. You know, he hadn't done a whole lot yet. You know, it was... This was, like, kind of his proving ground. And then it was because of this that he got Friday the 13th. Yeah. And then he goes into uh, Maniac. And a Maniac, and, and Prowler, and he had, well, like, the age of the Savini splatter the king reflex. of
1: splatter, yeah. I mean, this is... I mean, he really... The stuff that they're really just coming up with stuff on the set. Hey, let's kill this guy this way. How are we going to do it? Let's use this. Let's use that. All these practical ways of, even though it's simplistic by nowadays standards, it's really if you think about, he has eight people working with him and they're they're doing like, you know, what do we say? Two to three hundred zombies a weekend for however long. It's pretty amazing. Um, Let's see. We should cover that when this gets released in Italy, it's called Zombie. Yeah. And we should then kind of, I guess, explain that to Piggyback it to Fulci's zombie. Well, yeah,
0: I mean, this gets this gets released in 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 Europe and Italy like way before it gets American distribution. Yeah, and it ends up being a real hit hit over there.
1: Yeah, so much so it almost jumpstarts another kind of zo- the, Yeah, I mean, it, it Italian had, zombie market. It
0: does kind of you know Folchi's zombie. is called zombie because in Italy it was actually called zombie two. Yeah, because it was an unofficial sequel to. This movie. Zombie, which was Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. So Argento's zombie cut then spawns an unofficial sequel of Zombie Two by Fulci, which because it's not called Zombie Here, we just call that Zombie. Yeah. And then it just you know, all the and then it just the opens the floodgates. All these other kind all, of, yeah. to, you know, not just the Fulci movies, but just these copycat zombie movies, whether it's uh you know, I some of the all Just the names, are scary. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was like this movie. But it was was s- literally starts the whole market. Such so, a so huge hit over there, yeah. you know. Which is, you know, like we we always say with the Italians. You know, once they we said it with the animal trilogy, when <laughs> in Argento they'll, they'll the shit happened with the the Sergio Leone westerns. Like yeah. once something's successful. Not, doing, not only do you get like the Mockbuster over yeah. there, like you and I watched Alien Two, yeah, <laughs> which was their sequel to Alien, yeah, not aliens. aliens, yeah. <laughs> they, they put out another Alien movie. Uh, they just kind of take the ball and they run with it. They see uh, something that's going to make money. They'll, they'll, they'll make them to death. Yeah, they'll kill it. Uh,
1: this the principal, when they were shooting this movie. The, the title was Dawn of the Living Dead, which have been you know that's a, I guess a.
0: You always hear though like. Uh, I always hear, like, these things that, like, Russo took the living. Oh, do you
1: mean to, to... to
0: Like, there's some kind of legal thing. I don't know if it's true. Well, there's a lot there's of... There's always these rumors I that, like, when Russo, who wrote Night of the Living Dead with Romero, like, he took the rights to use the living dead. Well, so that's w- why you get, like, Return of the Living Dead.
1: Well, no, what, what ended up happening was they had Night of the Flesh Eaters was going to be the title that they actually... the I think the first print they had was... And then they well, copyrighted yeah, th- it, the, and then they lost...
0: Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like rumors. Yeah. Like I don't think actually they, lo- exist. they they
1: rename it instead of Night of the Flesh Eaters, it becomes Night of the Living Dead and then they don't patent it correctly. So they don't within- put a
0: copyright on the title card. They cut they ended up editing the the Night fucking the copyright eaters, yeah.
1: out of out of the movie. So then by the time I maybe mean, like five, ten years they Romero loses it. Loses the copyright well, So in the becomes, 80s It becomes like
0: Yeah it becomes like Instant
1: And that's why you have Like Return to Living Domain. Dead And all these All these copies To try to You know uh, Play off of this So I don't know if Russo Russo is a producer On the original Night of the Living Dead uh, Who we, we met Back in the day Well uh, that's uh,
0: Ste- Russ Steiner Oh, but um, about, Russo might have been a producer. Also, I thought Russo was there. Because he was the he one that the, co-wrote
1: it. But I thought he had the cuz we went one year and I was if He was probably there too cuz I was looking at these these uh, I have two Savini books. One I brought with me to have him sign back in the day uh from this then, is from the 70s and I bought a like a, an updated an updated uh, uh, well it's a kind of a different one there from him and it's more of interviews him talking the whole book is a series of interviews yeah. somebody uh transcribed it and uh in
0: but you do have like an updated one of this that you didn't buy from him. Do you remember that one? No.
1: I have well. I have this I brought with me. Then I have the one that I bought from him. But I could have sworn you bought another one. No. Maybe like
0: Eric or somebody yeah. bought it.
1: Uh, and then in that book I have, which I didn't bring with me, I have the original flyer of where we went at the New Yorker for that weekend. And it says in the flyer that also was there was Flyboy is that was at that signing, and also Russo, uh, Russ Steiner, who these are producers from the original movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I don't even remember going and seeing. Uh, I don't remember Flyboy being there, that I actor. Remember I remember us great. going another time, and it was billed that all the Day of the Dead cast were going to be there. But by the time you and I got there, the Day of the Dead cast had already left. Like We missed <laughs> that part of the day. Remember? Yeah, yeah. I think Argento was supposed to be there. I know they v- were going to do a the screening a w- day. There of was the
0: one where like Argento was there and, was, and left by the time we got there. Yeah. And there was one where we went and Romero was supposed to be there and never came.
1: Yeah, that was the one where Savini was at. He canceled. Cause, yeah, because he's billed on the thing as Savini, and that was the time, because they had gotten into a tiff right around the remake of Night of the Living Dead uh, that he was doing. This uh, ends up having a... Th- What's the name of the book? This, Which one? This book is called Grand Illusions, a, a learn-by-example guide to the art and technique of special effect makeup effects from the films of Tom Savini. I'll put a link in the cast. We can put it up to show people, because I think it's out of print, and this one... Uh, this is like a, I don't know, a '60s printing, or not '60s. It's like an '80s printing, but it says sixth printing, so th- this thing must have been, you know, yeah. they cranking them out at the time. This does really good at the box office, and I think it's still uh, comparatively the most profitable of his dead films. I mean, it only cost 1.5 million to make, but they grossed 55 million in '70s standards. Yeah, yeah. So that's a lot of freaking money.
0: Well, he, you know, he even talks about they went to the Times Square to see it, and they're walking to the movie theater, and they see this line around the block. I'm like, what movie is that for? Yeah, and then they got to the front of the theater where theirs was, and they realized it was for (laughs) that.
1: Yeah, and then uh, you know, years later, they do a. uh, There's a comic book adaptation of this movie, and that's helmed by Steve Niles. Steve Niles is the guy, the uh, writer who, in the land of comic books, came up with Thirty Days a Night, and then he also came up with Cal McDonald, who's a very famous like uh, uh, supernatural private detective. Um, He did the comic adaptation of this. Uh, there's a lot of cameos in this movie of a lot of country people uh, in various roles but I think there's a big cameo that we should point out where they say it's the screwdriver zombie so I think in the scene when they're in the uh, department in store the, mannequins,
0: yeah. and the mannequin comes
1: alive and, and it's, a, it's a maintenance worker and he has to take the, the screwdriver out and kill him through the year
0: that's because of a uh, continuity error that Roger had put the sweater around his waist Yeah, and then they've realized that in the next shot he doesn't have the sweater out of his waist anymore, so they needed something to show how he loses the sweater, so they called up John Harrison, who this late, is the guy
1: I'm talking about yeah. who uh
0: went on to be uh composer. His, his assistant director on Creep show and Day of the Dead, but then also ended up composing the original music for Creep show. There's also a lot of library cues, and then complete and then composed the whole score for Day of the Dead.
1: Yeah. And so
0: he came in because they were just friends and so he came in to do that part and he tells a story on my podcast where he went to a job interview after that and he didn't realize it but there was all like this dried blood like in his ear. And the guy, I think he says that like the guy's like, Are you okay? Well it's it's crazy looking too because it's
1: they fill his ear up. It's yeah, the whole yeah. ear canal is with stuff like that. So yeah, that that's I think is a worthy camo and, and I think people should check out your episode of Score to Death for Yeah. Both you,
0: the Donald Rubinstein episode and the John Harrison episodes of Scored to Death the podcast are like chuck full of amazing like anecdotes and, and information about Romero and working with Romero and stuff from both of those guys who worked very closely with them, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, and then, so when this movie is about to come out, we said they make a cut that he rushes to Cannes film festival to get viewed. He's not really happy with the cut. So he comes back, takers with it a little more. And then they're worried about getting an X rating because at the time X is now, uh, you know, uh, suggested of a pornography because, you know, there's a lot of X, you know, a lot of, 70s porn now at this point that are getting theatrical releases, so he doesn't want to get the accident have the stigma of people thinking like there's going to be like you know sex in it. So he ends up releasing the movie unrated, and he puts in it that you know people will find this shocking, but there's no explicit sex in the movie. It's just for gore, and it's funny because then you say like Roger Ebert, you have people like that reviewing it, and Ebert of all people gives it a very favorable review saying, you know, it's what you're going to expect, but it's a good, mor- almost a morale. I'm high- paraphrasing what he yeah, says, yeah. but it's a good morality tale or whatever. Uh, they use a real, the real local Biker Club, the pagans, which is the like the locals to the area in, in different
0: scenes. I think uh, worth noting that uh, in, in the book, scored to death conversations, with some of horror's greatest composers. And also in a recent article that I wrote for room magazine, that's probably on stands now. Uh, I wrote about the goblin score and I and in my interview with Claudio Simonetti he talks about uh, this score, but he also talks about how this is one of his favorite experiences. Yeah. Like he loved the session of like you know, being in in the band they weren't fighting yet but they would sit there and watch this, this crazy movie and have to create this zombie music and how they just had so much fun doing it which I think is it's always fun to hear you know that kind of stuff how people working on it, felt like how much fun they have, yeah, while they're doing it. Uh, I mean, it's, I feel like there's so much
1: more to, to talk about in this. I mean, there's a novelization that was really big.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, because of the prep for Frankenstein. Yeah, where I last t- week where I rushed and, <laughs> and tried to read the, the book, Mary Shelley's book. I didn't have time to read the novelization. But it's one of those. I do own it, though.
1: It's what you own the original novelization, yeah. right? Because there's a rare instance where they actually re-released the novelization. Uh, years later, and it has a Ford by Simon Pegg. You oh, know, yeah. so they might have maybe put it out with the success of the remake of Dawn of the Dead or with Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, you know, because I was looking at getting it and trying to read it before, but it was like two days. Like I can't
0: read a book in two. You think? Yeah, yeah. To... I think it's written by it's co-written. Yeah. I think by Romero and somebody else. And
1: they have the you know they introduced the novelization that you get the surnames in it. You know, you have uh, you know Peter's last name is Washington, Roger's last name is De- DeMarco, Francine's last name is Parker. You know, it's, so you have. It's always nice that we like, they always have like the. Uh, and of course, a Ken more. Foray
0: went on to be in uh, a lot of horror movies. Yeah, he, he's in Leatherface. He's in Leatherface, Texas Hits Soul Massacre 3, full title. Yeah. Uh, he's in From Beyond yeah. by Stuart Gordon. He, uh, I think he's in maybe one of the Rob Zombie Halloween
1: cameos uh in the remake of Dawn uh so does uh what's his face we just said Scott Reiniker cameos in the remake of Dawn as well Savini cameos in the remake of Dawn yeah. uh, and then yeah it just seems like there's 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 more we could talk about it's it's i guess it's you pick your poison like which cut you like i i think we've already established that i'm i kind of a purist i like the theatrical cut i don't like losing the goblin bits That you get into the the extended cut of the film. Um, And this, you know,
0: I think really also... Well, we typically don't do extended. I mean, we have. Yeah. But usually I try to push to be the purest, like, how we would have watched it, you know, initially.
1: And then talk about... On video release. And talk about the other things involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, this was exciting to do. It was fun. You know, um, it does... You know, seemed like we we ran through it. It's funny because this is our third movie where we have people driving in a mall. We had Blues Brothers, (laughs) and before that, we had Invasion USA. So a lot of like people crashing cars into malls and stuff like that. Was
0: not too long ago. No, it was not
1: too long ago at all. You know, and I I like like I said,
0: cut those together.
1: You have it be like one, well, yeah, or, and then and then
0: you get through <laughs> the chaos, and then you have of the,
1: of the biker, guy. You have Jacob and Elwood driving the car through, and then all. you have uh, Chuck Norris <laughs> doing his own. Sons hanging on the side of the truck, going after him all like that.
0: Somebody so, please do a fan cut where you combine all
1: that'll free. be awesome. And then lastly, if you want to check out more stuff about this movie, there's a great documentary that was done at the time called Document of the Dead, which has a lot of footage from. Uh, them making this and like George Romero walking around with Dar Argento in the mall talking and you see the behind effects of the behind the scenes of Tom Savini yeah. and also there's footage I think of Day of the Dead 10 years later of them doing the special effects in Day. I know the
0: more recent versions of it also they love Two loved, Evil Eyes they put Two Evil Eyes yeah. footage on
1: there. You know it's, that's interesting and then lastly the guy Joe Polito I think his name is who is in Day. Wishmaster and Day of the Dead Day he has a Dead. place he has a small part in this at the SWAT team at the beginning and he ends up becoming the sergeant or whatever the guy, the leader of the army in Day of the Dead, so a lot of the people in this world like to make up a backstory story that he's not really a sergeant in the army in Day of the Dead. He's actually the SWAT team who was like a weekend warrior in the National Guard, but then when the world goes to shit, he dons his Army clothes, and then he's like bossing everyone around, you know. And that so this was really fun to do, and it was really fun revisiting, going back to this old, you know. And I think, like Blake said, we at some point will do one of the Night of Living Dead's, or both of them, you know. Maybe we'll even do Day down the line, you know. I would just, love to do Day, you know. Day, I, um,
0: I I have over the years developed a huge fondness. Yeah, for and day. day was my
1: favorite for years. I mean, I, I, you know, Night is just such this this thing on a pedestal where I can't even really put it up against anything. But between Dawn and Day, I really used to prefer night i'm sorry day and then i feel like i said dawn now is aging poorly in my personal opinion yeah. like i worry people how are they going to take it especially now with the new remake out that's really good you know and there's an extended version of that you know so this is definitely something that really is so groundbreaking within the horror industry or the horror genre yeah
0: i mean when we eventually do night we'll get into more yeah. to like the historical significance and we'll give us
1: us we won't record this in a bathroom with my parents in the other room <laughs> you know trying to use the bathroom you know we'll we'll, we'll plan better to have a long epic you know we even have a plan we thought you know we're, we're uh, thinking about uh a little gimmick we record night but anyway we hope you like what we, you've been hearing so far this this uh season this halloween extravaganza season uh check out the other stuff we've done we did frankenstein we did uh, halloween uh both 40 year anniversaries uh and 200 year anniversary uh you can find saturday night movie sleepovers on uh Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter at Sat Sleepovers. We have our own page. Uh, you can go there for site extras. Check out. We'll put a link to Document of the Dead in here. That documentary. We'll put a link to the Savini book I have, or maybe both Savini books and anything else we can find. Blake, you have stuff.
0: Uh, scored to Death at Scored to Death on social media. Scored to Death the podcast and score to Death's conversations with some of Horace Grace's composers. That, of course, is my book, and you can find that on Amazon and other places. Again, score to Death, the podcast, recently had some great interviews, Romero-related interviews, so uh, they would be great companions to this if you're a big Romero fan. Yeah. And, of course, you can find the show on clnsmedia.com.
1: Yeah, we're CLNS Media. We're, we're partnered with them, so you can find
0: us on their site, too. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and i think we should thank our sponsors for uh this episode this episode
1: yeah thank you very much and also you can find me i've got a book coming out blood in the streets uh fiction comes out december the 4th uh which is a tuesday it's available now for pre-order on amazon it's going to be in paperback in ebook as well as audiobook so please go over there and if you want uh pre-order yourself a copy Uh, you can find that on Facebook on Instagram and on Twitter Uh, Blood in the Streets Novel uh, the book check those out please uh, go uh, like that page and uh, start you know uh, going there and looking for updates and retweeting and stuff like that you can you know be part of the community to help uh, push towards the release of this book uh, my book Blood in the Streets December the 4th and we'll be back next week with, uh, with the Halloween edition of uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. A real exciting example. One
0: thing I forgot to do the last two episodes was I want to give a shout out to Jeff, who I met at Sonic Monster Palooza. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, Jeff, if you're listening, keep the dream alive. Yeah. And until next time, <laughs> later.